Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news, reviews, and playthroughs. I'm Peter, and today we're reviewing Gen Con 2023. What's up, Mike? I'm ready to review it, baby. It's a failure. What? <laughs> and we also have a special guest, Jerry. Welcome, Jerry. Hi, everybody. And I did not think it was a failure. I, I yeah. didn't either. I'm, I'm just trying to be edgy. <laughs> oh, edgy. Edginess is good. Uh, so, so, so should I put for the title of the podcast, Gen Con 2023, is it a failure? Now with Edge. <laughs> if you put it on YouTube, it would have been a, made a great thumbnail. Oh, that's yeah. true. We get a total all failure and have Mike with like big eyes and stuff. <laughs> no, no, it has or, to be a total failure. Question mark, question mark, exclamation yes. point. The nice. answer to all those questions is always no. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jerry, the answer to all those questions and more is somewhere throughout the course of the podcast. You have to listen to the whole thing oh, to find yeah. out. Well, yeah, and you know what? Uh, that That is an interesting question that came up recently. So, hey, uh, feel free to email us at onestopcoopshop at gmail.com with your answer. I've been doing, like, uh, thumbnails now for my reviews on the YouTube channel that have a little header at the top. And most of them are just, like, a description of the game. Like, I don't know, the, the upcoming Masters of the Night review is, like, blood-sucking fun or something like that. But uh, the one for Tales from the Red Dragon Inn, I said... My favorite dungeon crawler, question mark. And then in the video, I said, hey, this is my favorite dungeon crawler now. So is it clickbait if yes. the answer to the question yes. is yes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the answer to the question is clearly yes. Is I, it I, clickbait I, if I remove the question mark? No. no if I say my favorite dungeon crawler statement and then it's, the video says. That's just a said, spoiler, isn't it? I mean, they don't have well, to click sure. on that. I, I guess <laughs> that's the anti-clickbait there. <laughs> They want to know why. <laughs> I, I'm more concerned with uh, you saying blood sucking fun. You don't have fun <laughs> sucking. That's, that's I, not I, a thing. I, I do not. Because there was a lot of blood sucking at Gen Con. There, there wasn't. Well, that was there, the worst there was no blood. <laughs> there was no blood whatsoever that I'm aware of. Uh, except we did do True Dungeon a couple times. So if you don't know what True Dungeon is, hang on for that part. Spoiler alert: things um, got bloody. No, no. <laughs> uh, no, I did die in one of them. So yeah, yes. things did get bloody. Yeah. All right. So before Which... I forget, because just from how this is going already, I feel like I probably will. Um, <laughs> so uh, we want to thank some more Patreon supporters. And yes, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash one stop. Uh, you get early access to videos on the main channel there. You also get exclusive videos. There's like 80 of them now. So if you want to see like extra playthroughs and top 10 lists and random conversations between me and Peter uh, go and join. And just to thank a few of our patrons uh, this week, I'm thanking Ben Smith, Eric Fuerst, hashtag farm life. Yeah. Hashtag farm life, TJ Roberts <laughs> and anonymous. Yeah. Anonymous, my favorite patron now. Uh, so thank you. Ooh, ben. Eric. Is, it's and, Colin Dignan. No, it's definitely not. I mean, I hope not. I told him to stop supporting our own Patreon. <laughs> he is literally paying himself. Uh, yes, so Patreon helps us to support the channel, uh, buy review copies, buy equipment, go to conventions like Gen Con. I think every single person who went to Gen Con paid for a large portion of it out of uh, Patreon money. So thank you all for that. It's how we were able to talk about this crazy thing. Yes, and if you think this episode sucks, stop supporting us. <laughs> oh, no, wait. <laughs> Then we'll never go again, and, and none of this will happen. I'll still go. 
Yeah, no, Jerry will force me to go, so I'll still be going anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, there goes that. I like uh, Spoiler. Yeah, Jer- <laughs> J- Jerry likes Gen Con way more than I do. But actually, Mike, we haven't heard your opinion on Gen Con, so I, I can't wait till the end of the episode. See, that's what they call a teaser to find out <laughs> your final thoughts on Gen Con because uh, Jerry and I are not on opposite ends of the spectrum here, but there are definitely conventions I like better than Gen Con. So we'll we'll probably wrap it all up with that when we're done. But let's start. Where do you think we should start? Wednesday. Oh, at the beginning. Come on, guys. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, let's start at the beginning, which was Wednesday, by the way. So the guys showed up at my house at 7 a.m. and we took off on our nine plus hour drive to Indianapolis uh, starting that morning because we had an event with Asthma Day that evening. Anybody want to talk about their impressions? So it started at five and went from five to eight. And it was a like media slash content creator early look at all the games that they were going to show off at the show. So yeah, any I, I can give some impressions. Yeah, uh, go for it. So you know, Peter generally drives straight. Uh, he sometimes, <laughs> you know, sometimes plays bad music repeatedly. Sometimes. You know, but but mostly, I felt safe and cared for in, in a really meaningful way. It was very nice. You were on I your Steam not... Deck the most most of the time. <laughs> I was on my Steam Deck or my phone most of the time. And, and reading rule books, I was reading board game oh, rule books because the, the the channel never stops. Right. That is true. You definitely read a lot, especially on the way home. And hey, don't criticize my music selection. That's my family's favorite ah, stuff. Dude, I, I liked it. I liked it for the first three-hour loop of it. <laughs> yes. I Yeah, after nine straight hours of driving, you do kind of run out of stuff. We did listen to some podcasts as well, but Mike doesn't like board game podcasts, so that kind of went by the wayside pretty quickly. So, but I'm sure our yeah. listeners do. Yes. Well, hopefully, because they are listening to this podcast. Hopefully at least one. <laughs> <laughs> Of the 10,000 downloads we get a week, hopefully at least one of you likes podcasts. Uh, although this is not our normal affair. If this is your first time <laughs> listening, this is not how shows normally go. They are way less fun than this normally and way more content driven. So yeah, so for the Asthma Day event, either of you have any impressions uh, or, or anything you want to talk about at that event? Well, I'll go first because I don't have any. Uh, I didn't really look at any of the co-op games they had there. Uh, I looked at uh, the new Great Western Trail, which is the New Zealand one, uh, which has a couple different changes. But unfortunately, there wasn't anybody actually showing off the game there. They just had a copy of it opened with uh, components. Uh, it looked it wasn't good. even really fully punched. It was just no, sitting on no. the table lonely. There were like a couple other games on that table, but it was sitting there like half punched out. The punch board literally laying on top of the board. I was just like, this is sad. <laughs> right yeah, yeah, it was a little sad for that, but... Uh, apparently it sold out pretty quickly uh, at the Asthma Day booth uh, come Thursday. So I'm a little sad that I didn't get a little bit more intro on that because I'm definitely interested because I think all three of us like Western Trail, or at least Peter and I do. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it for more than the average Euro. Yeah, so I don't have much to say about that one. But I did get a brief uh, overview and demo of the new Star Wars. Uh, uh, I guess you'd call it a CCG. It's called Star Wars Unlimited. Uh, it will have blind boosters. It's supposed to be out next year. It seems like the thing they were going on is that there is both space and ground combat, and they're two different sort of uh, areas uh, of the playmat. And you have a leader that sort of boosts uh, both space and ground, but you can turn that leader into an actual unit on either side. Or on the ones we saw were it was Luke versus Vader. Uh, so obviously they would change to ground units. 
I don't know. I was hoping Vader would be like in his like little fighter jet, right? Like that would be cool. They well, could have put him if in. Luke space. was in his X-wing. I mean, if he was Red Five. Yeah. But, uh, the what they showed us was basically a, a starter, and they were you'd activate them and turn them into ground units. Uh, I didn't get too much into the game itself. They gave us a sort of an overview, but it didn't really get too much into detail. Uh, nothing really jumped out to me other than it's Star Wars and it's blind boosters. So I doubt I'll be into this one, but uh, the art was nice and it, it looked kind of cool. But that that was all I had to say about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was all I had to say about, about that. that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the coolest thing I saw there, though, was uh, they have the Ticket to Ride Legacy called Legends of the West set up. So it's a Ticket to Ride Legacy game. So I got to talk to Alan Moon, who is the designer of the original Ticket to Ride, and who co-designed the Legacy version with Rob Davio and Matt Leacock, who did... Well, Matt Leacock did Pandemic, and Rob Davio did has done a whole bunch of things, but Matt and Rob did the original Pandemic Legacy Season 1, as well as, uh, I think, Seasons two and th- uh, 2 and 0, actually. But I talked to... Alan Moon a bit about that, and he said it, it's Ticket to Ride is a legacy. Legends of the West is a legacy game, but the difference between that and the other legacy games like Pandemic Legacy Season Zero is that uh, he felt that once you played Season Zero, you couldn't really play it again because there were surprises and spoilers that happened. That once you knew about them, it kind of ruined a a replay of the whole thing. Whereas Ticket to Ride Legacy is supposed to be the what happens in the game is driven by your choices. So you could go back and play the whole thing again and have entirely different things happen, uh, which seems pretty interesting to me. Uh, they did have a copy there. Uh, it was the production copy looked very nice. Uh, the components were really excellent. There was a ton of boxes to open. The boards were jigsaw puzzle type and uh, looked very nice. So I'm, I'm interested in, in playing that one. I think it'll be at least interesting, if nothing else. And hopefully with the Ticket to Ride style, it'll be accessible to introductory gamers or uh, people who aren't into heavy strategy games. Yeah, that was my standout as well. Um, One of the coolest parts, as Jerry kind of alluded to, was this puzzle piece board where literally it was like a map of the U.S., but like you were clicking together different parts of the U.S. I would assume either based on player count or maybe you unlock more as the game goes on. I'm not really sure why they made it a puzzle piece, but what, it seemed like the beginning started with the East Coast and then right. you would expand out West, which hence the name Legends of the West, which it seems like a pretty good concept as far as a legacy game and Ticket to Ride is concerned. Yeah, but I mean, I would imagine that you'd start with at least a couple of puzzle pieces in there because the first one was literally just like the Northeast. So I can't imagine that would be enough to play a game of Ticket to Ride. Can you imagine playing with like three routes? <laughs> yeah, so you go between New York and Philadelphia. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm, sh- I'm curious how that's all going to work out, but it was super neat for sure. That one I was very excited about. And I guess I should have pointed out earlier, that is one of the coolest parts about this Asmodee room. Most of the people that were teaching you about the games were the designers themselves. So yeah, that was pretty nifty. Yeah, it was uh, really cool talking to Alan Moon because he's yeah, like so a gaming old- luminary, made millions of dollars off a ticket to ride. So that was nice. 
Yeah, so the only other games that I wanted to talk about that you didn't there, because those were the, the main uh, heavy hitters for me, were the Carcassonne co-op version was there, as well as Marvel Crisis Protocol, which is a miniatures-based game. Uh, they've come up with a new starter box for that one. And the neat part about the starter box is, uh, or the neatest thing I heard there was they're re-releasing all the missions. And again, this is not cooperative, but uh, they're going to release a mission pack where they've basically redone all the missions. So you don't have to, you used to have to buy like different heroes just to get certain missions. Well, now you can get every mission they've released in like a mission pack, which was kind of cool because I like the game. But now with just buying a starter in that mission pack, you have access to a lot of different replay with the game, which I thought was kind of neat, you know, way for them to to go. You know, a lot of companies will hide that stuff, you know, as as they did as well in boosters and things like that. So you got to buy heroes you're not interested in just to be able to have access to the missions. Well, they've kind of reversed that and opened it up and made it more accessible, I feel like, to a larger audience, which made me happy at least anyway. They do have some solo co-op missions. I played it. They're okay. I don't know that I would buy the game just for that. But as I play more of them, if I do find one that really stands out, maybe we'll have a podcast episode on that as well. And like, okay, it's worth buying in just for this mission. You know, if they do a good enough job with it, we'll we'll get into that at some point. Yeah, and I'll just so. add, uh, there were two co-op ones that I saw. I didn't get to play any of these, but uh, they had Borderlands, colon, Mr. Torque's Arena of Badassery. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes. Yeah, so this is a arena game, although I was happy to see that it has uh, objectives. So it doesn't seem like it's just going to be shoot, shoot, shoot each other, but uh, trying to like actually get stuff. And it is only solo co-op. I kind of assumed it would be competitive, like with a solo co-op mode. But the fact that it's only solo co-op gives me uh, more hope for it. You play as Vault Hunters. This is a based on the Borderlands video game, by the way, if you don't know it. And you are facing down uh, people from the video game. And they have like a huge deck of guns because a huge thing of Borderlands is picking up guns and getting new ones. Now, I don't know... Uh, how different gun to gun will feel and like how much that will affect the gameplay and the enemy AI looks interesting, but I didn't get like the full details on how it'll work. But that one's pretty cool. And then also yeah, so another, Oh, sorry. Ju- yeah. Just to kind of jump in on that one. I forgot about that one. I was interested in that too. So if you don't know borderlands, but you know, Diablo, it's similar to Diablo. It's very loot based. Like everything you kill drops a piece of loot. They're minorly better and worse in certain ways than others. So yeah, I, I will be interested in how they do that. Because it certainly could lead to a Diablo game or another, you know, massive loot dropping game like that, which, you know, I I love those kind of video games. It'll be interesting to see how it translates to a board game. Yeah, I I definitely like the video game. And I'm glad to hear you say, Mike, that it's there's objectives involved because I I completely ignored it because I heard it was an arena combat game. And I'm not a big fan of arena combat games. But if it's co-op and it's still objective based, that that interests me. Yeah, I didn't get all the details again, but it sounded more like you need to like go and do things, even like enemies might spawn again. Like, so you can't win by killing them all, but we will see. And yeah, the other uh, co-op one I saw at the Asmodee event, this is coming from Simon, but Asmodee is handling their like retail distribution now. It's a pretty recent deal. Is uh, the Metal Gear Solid board game, which we've talked about in the past. Uh, it used to be with IDW. It's now with Simon. It's not coming out until next year at the earliest. But uh, yeah, I got to see a little bit of it. It was actually on the demo floor, so I wish I'd gotten to play it later in the con, but I didn't. But it's got stealth gameplay, and it's got like crazy boss fights. They uh, had uh, some samples of the Revolver Ocelot fight. If you, anyone knows the original Metal Gear Solid, there was a fight against this guy who shoots guns and like ricochets them off the walls. 
just like he could do with real guns, of course. And, um, and, he, has oh, the yeah. cool, and he has the coolest name. I mean, yeah, his, his name is Revolver. You know, I mean, that's that's what he shoots with. It's it's good. His parents chose well. So, yeah, it looks pretty interesting. I have no idea how the stealth will work yet, but I at least know they are very committed to like getting the video game IP to be a reality in a cool way and like really bringing to life the stuff from the game. And I'm a fan of those games. So I have some confidence. And Emerson, uh, who is the designer, also designed uh, Spectre Opt, which I thought was a better than average hidden movement like stealth uh, deduction or not deduction detection game. So I have some hope that he'll do a nice job with this one. Very cool. And then, so after we left there, we did have some connections and stuff like that with some content creators we knew. But the next place we went was the Lucky Duck event. I don't even remember where that was, but it's for Cosmoctopus, which is a game that they had releasing at the con. And it was designed by our good friend, Henry. What's Henry's last name? Audubon. Audubon. That's right. Our good friend, Henry, Henry no last somebody name. Ever. <laughs> I mean, do you know all your best friends' last names? Let's be honest. Well, yeah. I think so. All right. Well, <laughs> forget you guys. I'm out of here. All right. So uh, by our good friend, Henry Audubon. And uh, that game did very well at the convention. They had, I think they brought in 650 copies and they sold out. Um, they were selling out each day, but like kind of rationing it as the con went. But no, that went very well. And that event was was fun. And uh, that kind of met us up with Henry which led to our next thing, which was going gaming. But Mike, you want to talk a little bit about Cosmoctopus? Because you did a solo playthrough for that one. Yeah, I did, I did a preview of it. And from what I understand, what I previewed is pretty much the same as the final game. It's a competitive game. You are moving around these uh, tiles that will give you different resources. And you're trying to build up enough resources to collect tentacles. You can also like... Uh, you get these constellation cards that kind of have like paths and you fill in the paths by also getting resources and those will get earn you tentacles. You're trying to get the eight tentacles you need to uh, summon the great Cosmoctopus in the Inky realm and I guess live with him in joy forever. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's a fun game, a fun Euro and it's been a while since I played it, but I remember the solo mode being pretty solid. So yeah, I'm super happy for Henry as a friend. Uh, the game is fun. So I'm glad it did well. And yeah, that's about all I got for now. I did win a uh, Cosmoctopus plushie by answering the question of which Star Trek series was the best. So, Next generation. Uh, yes. Well, that, that was my answer. Um, <laughs> although funnily enough, the person who was running the uh, the question and answer, Devin from Devin uh, Talks Tabletop, is that his channel, I think? He said I was wrong and said it was Deep Space Nine, but he's the wrong. other the other people running the contest immediately gave me one anyway. <laughs> they disagreed yeah, he, with, his, uh, yeah. with his answer. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But I, was... I would like to give a little shout out to uh, Lucky Duck. Uh, I thought that event was uh, pretty cool. Uh, so they had a space that was kind of a meeting uh, meeting area in uh, sort of like, a, I don't know what the brand name of it was, but it's kind of like a WeWork place. But it, it was nice. There was, you know, snacks and uh, non-alcoholic beverages. It, it was a good place. Uh, everybody got together, met a lot of content creators, a lot of good conversations with people I'd never met. And uh, I thought the event was uh, was pretty good overall. I mean, it, I'd like to see more great, of those kind of things. Yeah. And I mean, not everybody's doing it, but obviously Asmodee did it for all their stuff. And then, you know, Lucky Duck did it as well for their one big release for the con. So, no, I, I think this is something that's 
they've done a lot of stuff like this in the past where it's one-offs where, you know, they'll do small meetings. They'll meet with a couple of, a couple of content creators at a time. And I think that is a smart way to do it as well. But this is nice because you do get to like talk to other people and maybe collaborate on stuff in the future that you don't always get to talk to. So it was a lot of the same people at the lucky duck one that were at the asthma day one as well. It felt like. I just thought it was nice to gather a bunch of content creators together, but without plying them with a tremendous amount of food or alcohol or something like that. It was, you know, sodas and drink and some snacks and everybody getting together and talking and, you know, taking a look at Cosmoctopus. Yep. And they definitely had some games running there as well. So I think, yeah, that was kind of cool. So then we went to, we talked to Colin, Barrett, Terrence, Steve, who were all there and they were all playing games at the Hyatt. So we went over to the Hyatt. Uh, or Hyatt Regency, right? Uh, it was something. like a Hyatt Place or something. Or yeah, Hyatt that's right. Place. It was different, yeah. Yeah, so we went over to the Hyatt Place, and they had basically game rooms, but like they were just little meeting rooms, kind of, enough for like three tables in each. So they were in one of those, and thankfully, one of the tables next to them opened up. So we ended up playing with Henry and Chris. We ended up playing this uh, a game of Flame and Fang, introduced them to it. Uh, so Flame and Fang only handle that's our game that is coming up. We were showing it off for the first time at Gen Con. And so uh, it handles one to four players very well, Flame and Fang, but it doesn't handle five. And there were five of us. So I ended up sitting out and just watching and observing. So uh, that was a very good session, though, because we got some really good, honest feedback that usually happens when you play with other designers and publishers. Um, we got some very good feedback on the game that actually led us to changing how we were showing it throughout the course of the weekend. So, Mike, you were in that game, and Jerry, you were in that game. Any additional things you want to throw in? Well, I think this is a this should be a whole design discussion later. Um, we have been big proponents for years of either simultaneous play in cooperative games when possible, um, and or kind of free form turn structure. Like I go for a little bit, then you go for a little bit, then I go for a little bit, then somebody else goes for a little bit. And yeah, I've, I've started to realize I don't like that in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases anymore. And that's basically what happened here. Like with Henry and Chris's play, I was like, man, a four player, this is not my favorite way to do this. So we switched to kind of a more traditional turn structure, like taking turns in order around the table. And I think the game's way better for it. So yeah, I won't go too much into detail, but I think that could be a whole podcast by itself, kind of like evolving thoughts on uh, more freeform turn structure and simultaneous playing games. Well, my thought on that is uh, I think it becomes a problem when people start discussing what order uh, to take turns versus what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And I think we were getting pretty toe in that line, I think, discussing what order we should go in versus what we were actually trying to do. Uh, Yes. And I think... I, I think overall it's improved, but Peter, I think you did the game a little bit of disservice by not introducing it, explaining what it's about before we get, oh. <laughs> get into the discussion. On it. So it is a deck builder with a board. So think clank a little bit, but uh, very different than that, obviously, as far as gameplay goes, but deck builder with a board. But one of the two of the coolest things I think that stand out to me are number one is you get to be a dragon. So I don't know. I like being That's a dragon. Cool. It's pretty cool. Uh, you So you are a 
uh, Thunder of Dragons is uh, was almost the name of the game, which is a, a group of dragons, but you're basically a clutch of eggs that is hatched together. So you are working together basically to survive. And then, you know, the story evolves from there. And that is, to me, the, the second cool thing that comes out of this is the story deck that's involved. Our graphic designer, Kenneth, did an awesome job, and we'll talk about him a little bit more later, but of laying it out so it looks like a book. So like chapter one is called The Hatchlings and you open this book up and then you just have like the introductory story on two cards. But it's not really a book. It's literally just a deck of cards, but you flip one over and it looks like you've opened the pages of a book up. So you flip one over and kind of put it in a discard pile to the left of the first one. And now it looks like a book page and then you read the introductory story. Then it says flip this page. You flip it over again and it has the setup for the mission and any special instructions you'd have during the setup and that says flip this page over then it gives you kind of the objective that you're going for so every chapter is going to have completely different objectives it's going to have a completely different boss you're going to be doing a lot of similar things right because you're mostly flying around killing stuff gathering resources up but you're going to have to do it in unique ways for each different mission is very different from the mission before so yeah no that that is uh flame and fang anything else you want to add mike no, I think you got it. Uh, I was just super, yeah, I mean, like, we're not going <laughs> to spend too much time talking about our own game. We could do another podcast about that. But a ton of people played it, and pretty much, I think everyone enjoyed it. I mean, maybe well, they're being I'm nice say, to us. I'm going to say a few words about it, because, uh, so I'm part of Mike and Peter's regular gaming group, but I generally do not enjoy playtesting uh, unfinished games at all. Yeah, like, won't so do this it. Is the first, really yeah, the real won't words. do it, basically, yeah. <laughs> So this is the first time I played Flame and Fang in probably a year. Uh, it had changed significantly since I had last played it. And wow, was it good. We had a lot of fun. There was a, even with first time players, there was a lot of back and forth and discussion and helping each other without the alpha player problem. Like nobody was directing anybody else to do something. Uh, we were all sort of determining our own turns, but working together to accomplish our objectives it was it was really well done uh, co op game. I had a lot of fun playing it. Oh, thank you, Jerry. We had heard that from you before, so uh, <laughs> definitely appreciate that. Well, I um, don't want to inflate your uh, ego too much. I mean, yeah, no, it's pretty bad already. So I'm glad you didn't do that. Uh, but anything else you have for uh, Wednesday night before we get into Thursday? That was it for me. Yeah, if we want to keep this thing moving, let's go. All right, so Thursday morning, Mike and I went to a different hotel. I forget where it was, but we were basically looking for a gaming space in the morning before the hall opened at 10, and we tried out the changes we were talking about for Flame and Fang, and they worked really well, and we were super happy with them. And so because we were both doing demos of the game throughout the course of the day, and we just wanted to do some final playtesting that next morning to make sure... I mean, we. It basically just changed the turn structure and changed a little bit about how the first mission worked to simplify it a little bit. And we're really happy with the changes. So, you know, you always wonder, like, what do you do at these cons? Well, sometimes you end up playtesting your own stuff, uh, even though you're there to, you know, just to make sure it's the demo goes off really well. And uh, so I was really happy with how things went that morning. Really super happy with, uh, again, Chris and Henry. Thank you so much for all the, you know, advice input you had on the game. You know, the core was there. 99% of the game didn't change. It was just this one tweak to how the turn structure worked. And it really made the game, like Mike said, come alive. So anything else you guys did Thursday? Well, Jerry, what were you doing while we were doing that? Uh, I didn't do a whole lot Thursday morning. I did go into the dealer hall. It was a little bit different for me, this Gen Con, because I did not spend a lot of time in the dealer hall at all. 
I, I sort of went in Thursday. I did not participate in the, uh, uh, I don't know what they call it, the running of the nerds, I think, now. Um, <laughs> when everybody, you know, queues up and then rushes in when it opens. I did that once. And actually, I did it again on Saturday. But we'll get to that. I wasn't feeling like participating in that this time. But when I did go in, I made a beeline for the Ares booth because the War of the Ring card game expansion, I can't remember what it's called, Against the Shadow, I think it's called. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, it's the co-op slash solo expansion for War of the Ring. The, I'm sorry, War of the Ring, card, the card game. So I managed to pick up a copy of that. And apparently it's a good thing I did because it sold out pretty quickly, which seems to be a actually a theme of this Gen Con that things were selling out left and right. I mean, th- the highly popular things always sell out at Gen Con, but there seem to be an awful lot of things selling out uh, at the dealer hall at this Gen Con. So I did manage to pick up a copy of the War of the Ring, the card game expansion, and I we'll talk about that later when Mike and I got a chance to sort of try it out. Well, and another thing uh, I'll jump into real quick is Gen Con did have its largest attendance ever this year. Uh, it was over 70,000 uniques. I think it was so, over 80, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I, I read the, the article I read said over 70, but over 80, I, I would believe that. There were a lot of people it, it there. It was so crowded. That, so that leads to you know what Jerry was saying, a lot of games selling out, things like that. I think people were excited to be you know without masks, although there were plenty of people with masks. But, you know, just more free of COVID, you know, the last few years were definitely hampered by that. And I, you see it everywhere in the world right now, but certainly Gen Con was an example of that. So from what I heard, actually, they are expanding the Indie Convention Center and they're adding another hotel with like 800 rooms or something like that. So Indie is definitely trying hard to keep Gen Con. So, well, they just uh, signed a, a deal to keep it through 2030, which I'm glad to see because I think it, Indianapolis is a pretty good location for it. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, did you want to talk about your experience? Because I know you and I, after doing our playtesting, hit the showroom floor as well for the first time. Yeah, so well, for, for, better, <laughs> for better or worse, I, uh, this is my first Gen Con, by the way. Um, I scheduled a lot of meetings with publishers. And some of them were just like, hey, here's our games. And they were just like, show me the boxes. But a few of them actually like had playtests and things, which are the most interesting ones. So like, I'll just say some names real quick and then get to the main ones. I met with Alley Cat Games. Saw a couple things like Starfighters and uh, Dice Theme Park, I think it's called. Um, I met with uh, WizKids and saw Blob Party, which is a cooperative uh, party game. It looks pretty fun. They called it Reverse Just One, which already has my attention. And then the first one that was like kind of more meaty was with uh, Scorpion Musque, who... Uh, they played, like I played with them, and then I got review copies of both of these. Sky Team, which I know got a lot of buzz at the con, and well worth it. I, uh, I've i played it like 10 to 15 times with my family since I got home, and I already recorded a review of it, and I'm just adoring it. Is that the one where you're landing planes? Yeah, so it's a it's a uh, two-player only co-op game with a saloon of communication. Basically, you each have four dice, and every round you're placing your dice on different spots but how your dice interact with each other for like the planes heading and speed and all this other stuff is really interesting. And then there's a, like a billion T modules you can add on like fuel and training and intern and uh, having to like dodge cliffs and more planes being in your way and all this stuff. 
So yeah, can't, can't so, say enough good. So do they just make it harder, or are they more like the Onirum series where they give you new tools? So and it's it's I, I shouldn't really say modules. I mean, they are modular, but there's like. 20 i want to say scenarios to play oh okay Um, and like you know six of them are green easy like five of them are yellow five of them are red four of them are black like something like that so they will they will include those in different ways and also you'll have different airports with like their own configurations of everything so so far it's added a lot of variety to the game although i don't really care like I've, i've played the base tutorial airport like five times now and loved it every time so yeah, that's that's definitely one of the top games of the con for me, and and a favorite of the year so far, just from what playing it now that I've been home. So that's uh, that's Sky Team, and that's, it, it, I think it's ready for retail. So I'm guessing you'll be able to buy it somewhere soon. I also played uh, Turbo Kids, which is in the Zombie Kids like kind of IP, but it's uh, <laughs> one player has a face mask on, so they can't see, like an eye mask or whatever you want to call it. I, I blindfold. There you go. Blindfold. You mean like in real life? Yeah, like they are wearing oh, a blindfold. Okay. And the other player um, is directing them as they draw with a dry erase marker on a board that has like a racetrack and walls that you can't crash into. And they're trying to like direct you so you don't go into the walls. And then they're also, you hold up your thumb and they like move your thumb like it's a joystick to kind of indicate which direction you go. Oh gosh. <laughs> it's, it's, it's totally insane, but it was also super fun. <laughs> There's lots of touching involved. Well, yeah. yeah I don't yeah. do touching. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, I think that one will be more hit or miss for people. And then I got to see uh, an actually pretty far along build of the Dead Cells board game that we did a preview of. And I think we, we do we play? I know, Peter, you played that with Jerry. Did you play the Dead Cells game with us? Uh, I did not. Okay. Yeah, so I, I definitely like that one. It's a very, that that's another video game IP that I'm a fan of. So yeah, so it looks really nice. The, the miniatures look great. The components are looking awesome. They're doing the uh, the Trudvang uh, thing, Jerry, where they have like a board with plastic slots that you like kind of put the cards okay, in. And that, they stay that, there. That's a good part of uh, Trudvang. <laughs> well, in the combat. You said Trudvang. I'm like, well, yeah. The fact yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, it's like yeah. a, a good thing from Trudvang. But yes, yeah, so that okay, was fun. All right. <laughs> um, and then the, the only other one that I played something for was a uh, dead alive games. I played a early, early version of an upcoming game from them called cyber pet quest, very small box. I think it's gonna be a very low price point, but it's like a little co-op adventure game where you're uh, cybernetically enhanced pets trying to find your owner. And it's kind of like interesting, like left to right, but story driven like thing, but you're also like fighting people. It was very early. There were some things I didn't like about it that I told them about, and they seemed very receptive. So I have, some confidence that the things that were not fun will become more fun. But yeah, th- those were the things I actually got to play uh, during the day Thursday outside of like just meeting. with. Wow. You went, you went through, you just went through your whole day. I, I meant the morning, <laughs> like what did you do in the morning? Which was none of that. I know because I spent the morning with you. We went to Kess. We talked to yeah, AJ. Gonna... We, t- we went to Ghost Galaxy. Like none of the, and we played that other game. Wasn't that that same day that, like where we have to make people not match stuff. Oh, I forgot about that. Agree to disagree. Yeah. So yeah, agree to disagree was super fun. Uh, it, it's a competitive party game, but they do have a two-player co-op mode. I guess you could play it with more players, but you're basically no, trying no. To- it, it it has to be more than two players. It's three plus players. Oh, because one person's picking the category. Yeah, one person's picking the category, and then specifically picking the two other people they think won't agree on it. Yeah, so for example, Mike said The Hobbit, uh, the third movie of The Hobbit, like, was a good movie. Well, he said, like, a masterpiece or something, which, (laughs) like, clearly 
I like that movie, but yeah, I do not think it is a masterpiece. I almost <laughs> did it, but I knew what Mike was trying to get me to do. I don't know if that's cheating or not. Yeah. So, well, so, I, so, I, so the guy clarified the rules. Yeah. So what you do, and I did this a little bit wrong, is they have like uh, six categories up. So it might be like, you know, music artists or songs or vacation spots, etc. And you just name a thing. You're not supposed to say like a statement. You're not supposed to say is a masterpiece. Um, oh, so I should have just said the out. third mm-hmm. Hobbit movie, you know, and then what your goal is, you're supposed to pick two other players who you think will disagree. So one will say they like it and one will say they don't. And then it has like kind of this fun toy aspect where uh, they each pick one side of this little thing secretly and they push them together. And if they have opposing views, then they click in and you get the point. And if they don't have opposing views and they don't click in, I have a picture of it in my little Gen Con video. If anybody wants to like go see or just go to the board game geek page and look up agree to disagree. So yeah, I, th- I thought it seemed pretty fun. We only got to play like one little round of it, but for a quick little uh, fun party game slash conversation starter seemed pretty solid. So uh, I had one other thing in the morning and that was talking about the Kess games booth. I don't know if you guys want to talk about that at all, but I stopped yep. by the Kess games booth before Peter and Mike and Kess games was showing uh Kess games publishes uh, some games based on IP. Uh, I think the two biggest ones are uh, Mega Man Adventures, which was was designed by Peter and Mike, and Contra, uh, I believe, as well. Is that correct? Yeah, those yep. are the two big ones they had there. And then they also had, um, I actually bought this, they had a game based on the really popular manga and anime series, uh, Spy X Family, or Spy Family, it's called. Yeah, so I got to watch them demo Mega Man Adventures, for some folks and you know, no offense to the the person demoing it was Thursday morning. So it was their, their first go at it. And I having done it before, I know how difficult it is to demo games uh, at a convention. I kind of stepped in and, and gave a little bit more detail on that, how the interaction between the players is going and they ended up picking up a copy. So I just want to have it recorded for posterity that Mike and Peter owe me at least a quarter uh, That's how much we make for, for each copy of that, for, I'm sure. For, for, selling that, for selling Mega Man Adventures. But uh, it was apparently very well received. So uh, worth mentioning. Yeah, it either sold out or... Um, I know there were down to a few copies left the last time we went by, but that was like Friday, I feel like. Or, yeah, that, no, that no, was Saturday. Was, but yeah, I mean, I think they had seven copies left and it was like middle of the day Saturday. So if they didn't sell out, I'd be surprised, which is certainly nice. Yeah, so everybody get yeah. your copy of Mega Man Adventures. Well, yeah, so that that's what I was going to say. This is my shilling day, apparently, because all I did was, like, look at and play and talk about our games. Uh, so we went by the cast booth, uh, and like Jerry said, we got to look at them selling Mega Man Adventures. But the, the big news that came out of that is Mega Man Adventures is for sale. So we actually have a game, Mike and I have a game, that you can pick up. It's not only on Amazon – but I think they said they're going to try to get into, or it is going into 150 Barnes and Noble locations as well. So I remember when it hit barnesandnoble.com, it was a bestseller and then sold out in one day. <laughs> like literally <laughs> the next day, they didn't have it available on the, the website anymore. So um, the good news is Kess definitely has interest in keeping that game alive. And so maybe more news to come on that in the future. But good news, Mega Man Adventures is alive and well. I know when we originally did it with Blacklist, there was lots of problems. Kess is taking care of all those problems. They are fulfilling all of the people who pre-ordered it. They're getting it to them. So thank you, Kess, for saving a game of ours that we did not think was going to go anywhere. 
I, I would like to say a couple things though. If you're um, <laughs> just to give you a little background on the game, uh, Mega Man Adventures uh, has two real things going for it, uh, in my opinion, and that is. One is it really does feel like Mega Man, uh, where you're going through the levels, you're fighting the bosses, you're getting their powers. But it also has a tremendous amount of cooperation between the players that isn't driven by an alpha player. So uh, it's a lot of fun as a co-op game, and you really do feel like you're playing Mega Man. Man, we got to pay Jerry. Yeah, he's he's, he's hyping our games better than we do. I mean, I I feel awkward. (laughs) When I play your games and I like them, I, I... I express that when I when I play that, games that, that's that I true, don't, I, he's, I he's shut not, up. <laughs> yeah, he's not mentioning anything about some other games we've designed. <laughs> well, speaking of yeah. another game we designed. You that? <laughs> I do want to talk about another game we designed, uh, Salvation Road. We did go see AJ, who is Van Ryder Games, and he des- he published our first game, Salvation Road. And the good news for that, and you know, no announcement, nothing soon, but he basically, I guess good news is that he said he's done with that game and he's not going to be publishing it anymore. So he kind of gave us the rights back, which means, as you guys, we talked about earlier with Flame and Fang, we are starting our own publishing company. So that might be something we, we rework and uh, come out with something new. I wouldn't expect that anytime in the next couple of years because we do have a couple other projects on the go right now that we want to do. But that is a game I think both Mike and I love to death and have a a very high interest in getting that one back out again in a form we think will be even more exciting for players. So like a 2.0 version of Salvation Road. I really enjoy that one too. I think it's really well done. Yeah, it's one of my favorite games of ours for sure. The difficulty wasn't right, right? Like it was very hard. But the problem is players play it for the first time and they get spanked. You know, we were new designers when we did that. That was our first design. So we didn't, and co-ops were like, notoriously wanted it to be super hard, right? So we made it a super hard co-op. Well, that, you know, we, we've changed our philosophy on that over time. So it, it, it's uh, really hard until you understand what it's trying to accomplish. And then it becomes not quite as hard. I mean, there's, you still lose even if you play pretty well sometimes. Yeah. But I think it, once you understand the, the general flow of the game, it, it's pretty well balanced. Yeah, I mean, Mike and I can win on normal difficulty 75% of the time. That's why yeah. we didn't think it was too hard. The problem is, if it is your first ever time playing, you are not winning 75% no, of the no, time. No, you're not. No. Man, y- y'all um, are making me think of uh, War of the Ring Against the Shadow, the expansion Jerry bought. <laughs> I just we'll get recorded, that later, Mike. I just recorded my review for that, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we could talk about that in a minute. I do want to talk about Ghost Galaxy. So that is the one non-us thing that I did. Well, that in True Dungeon, but we'll get to that next. Uh, Ghost Galaxy is the new publisher for Keyforge. Uh, and they had a new Keyforge adventure was there. So I did take a look at it. I almost picked it up. But then I Peter, looked at the what's back. what's a Keyforge adventure? <laughs> oh, so Keyforge adventure is a the solo co-op version of Keyforge. So you Keyforge is not a collectible card game, but it is a unique deck game where you buy a deck for 10 bucks. It might be 12 now. And it is a unique deck. There will never be any other deck exactly like it in the world. And so it's already put together for you. It's it's one of my favorite games of all time. It actually inspired Flame and Fang, the card play of it. It's definitely, if you've ever played Keyforge, you will see it in Flame and Fang, the card play there. I just love the system. I love how it works. And so they made a co-op. They've made three now co-op adventures. And the first one 
was great solo. You've, it was like Rise of the Key Racken or something like that. And you're fighting against this thing and it worked out really well. The problem was when you played it multiplayer, the first person goes and similar to Magic and other like card games, when you summon creatures for the first time, they come in with like summoning sickness. They come in tapped, whatever you want to call it. So in the first Keyforge adventure, the first player would go and a bunch of stuff would happen. The a- the player would go, then the AI would go, and it would summon a bunch of stuff. And then the second player would go, and they would try to summon some creatures or whatever. But there were already now creatures on the board that attacked the second player's creatures. So they would all be dead. And worse yet, if there was a third player in the game, because it did play up to three, they would really have a line of crap already <laughs> set up to destroy them by the time their turn came around. So it didn't really work as a multiplayer game, but really worked well as a solo game. They fixed that in the second one, the Abyssal Conspiracy, and the way they did that is every player had their own enemy area in front of them, so unless you were sharing a location, those enemies wouldn't attack other people. So that worked much better. The problem is, I did not play the third one, but the third one, they went back to the original method, and the designer was there, and I don't want to put too much bad buzz out there, but like he's like, yeah, I didn't really understand how the second one works, so I just went back to the first one. I'm like, all right. Now, maybe there aren't as many creatures. Maybe there are other things that that fix it and don't make it as bad as it was in the first one. But like that just totally turned me off. And I so I did not pick that up. Well, but I, I thought the first one was OK, but it seemed very much geared to particular types of decks. And yes. if you're dealing with Keyforge where you sort of get a random deck when you buy it, it it's very possible that the deck you're playing just doesn't work with it. So you might have to have multiple decks and and only use the deck that works with that co-op scenario, which I, I mean, I guess is okay if you're into Keyforge and you have a bunch of decks. But if you're just buying it because you want solo co-op and you buy a Keyforge deck, you may very well get a deck that just does not work with that scenario and just won't be fun. And to be fair, the first scenario was very fighting intense. Yes. So you needed a lot of fighting decks, and that's why it was a problem to have one row. If this one was more thwarting or whatever, um, uh, not thwarting. I'm now thinking of Marvel Champions. Yeah, like get you know, uh, getting Amber, whatever they call that. I don't even remember. Um, <laughs> but you know, if it's you know more focused on that, then it might not be as much of an issue as it was in the first scenario. And again, I didn't play it, but just. When they said they used the first system again, I was like, yeah, that was, I mean, it's great solo. It works very well solo, but it did not work multiplayer as well so, for the reason we already pointed out. So that said, I'm, I'm going to jump in here, Mike, or Peter, Mike. It was nice because for the Key Racken scenario, which was the first one, they did release it as print and play. Uh, so yes. it was released for free. It's not like you had to buy anything. If you want, you can buy it now from Ghost Galaxy if you want the official printed cards, but you know, it was available print and play. And it was sort of trying something different with a, with a format that was essentially competitive to begin with. So I applaud them for trying to do something uh, solo and co-op with it. And, and especially for releasing it for free uh, for people to play. Cause I know Peter and I played it at least three or four times um, oh yeah, I still have it. I'll still yeah, pull it yeah. out. I mean, it was for solo. Yeah, and, absolutely. And it was certainly, it was nice to see them uh, support the game in that in that fashion. Yeah. So, Mike, do you have anything else for Thursday, or did you literally go through your whole day? I got like Thursday night, but uh, if y'all have anything else for the day, go ahead. The only other thing we did is True Dungeon. Jerry, I talked a lot. Do you want to talk about our True Dungeon experience? Sure. 
So uh, Peter and I had talked about trying True Dungeon uh, for a couple of couple Gen Cons now. So True, for those that don't know, True Dungeon is sort of a live escape room-ish activity where you go in with a group of up to 10 people and you go physically from room to room and either have to solve puzzles or, you know, fight a, an enemy or something like that as you're progressing through a, uh, through a story. So the one we did on Thursday, we, we actually were able to sign up for two of them and they, they sold out incredibly quickly. So you had to sort of pull the trigger when you had a chance. The first one we did on Thursday was Barbeard Treasure, which was uh, a sort of styled as a introductory scenario. So it only had four rooms versus the regular True Dungeon, which is seven rooms. And uh, we figured we'd try out this one on Thursday. And then if we liked it, we'd do the one on Saturday. Uh, and if we didn't, we'd you know return the tickets for Saturday and get our money back. So we did True Dungeon on Thursday. And the thing that made that this intro is you have these things where uh, you get equipment in the form of like poker chips, basically. And, you know, the equipment might be weapons or armor and you equip your character before you go in. Well, the thing that was special about this one is that you were given a set of 10 tokens to go into the dungeon and you couldn't bring any ones that you already had. So it was really geared for people who were new to True Dungeon. So we each got our set of 10. We sat in with a bunch of people we didn't know. And we're trading around tokens to try to optimize our equipment. And then we went into the true dungeon. So without spoiling too much, uh, like I said before, there were four rooms. Uh, Two of the rooms were puzzle rooms where we had to get together and collectively solve a puzzle before we moved on. And two of the rooms were fights where you combat an enemy using uh, a combination of the spellcasters sort of do their own thing that usually involves memorization. And uh, the others essentially play a shuffleboard game where they're trying to push their tokens to a particular area of the of this board to hit and then cause damage to the enemy. So we played that. It was our first experience with it. And I don't know about you, Goose, but I had an awful lot of fun playing Absolutely. That. Yeah, it, it was it was good. Uh, one of the things and it was. Oh, oh go ahead. I, I, I would highly recommend doing the shorter dungeon if it is your first time. Yes. Doing it. First of all, it was about half the price of yes. the full dungeon. It was also half the number of rooms. So your time commitment was left too. Instead of seven full rooms, it was only four rooms. You still get a good enough flair. And I thought they really hit it off with a bang with the first room you went into. I'm not going to spoil what it was, but it was one of the puzzle rooms. And it was a really neat physical puzzle where you got to do like some really cool teamwork stuff with other people around the table. And I thought it was just a a knock it out of the park first experience. And then at another point in the dungeon with your first fight, they had a really cool animatronic thing again, no spoilers, but I thought that was like just a really cool first experience. So even if you're trying to introduce somebody to it, I would highly recommend taking them to this like smaller dungeon first because they're not skimping on the quality of stuff there. Um, now, having gone through the, the second one as well, they just it's just a shorter experience, and you don't have to have a bunch of stuff. In fact, I was the monk, and I didn't use any of my equipment at all, and you didn't really need it as a monk. So that's another thing. If you want to just play a monk, you better be really good at shuffleboard, because they, uh, <laughs> they expect you to, to hit a 20, which is like this small dot on the other end of the board, and you have to be 
uh, I, I thought it was really cool. Like most of the time you'd put a poker chip in your weapon to like mark how much damage you did and any cool special effects or whatever else. But for the monk, they just use their fists so that the pucks themselves just had damage numbers on them. And so, but the thing with the monk is you had to shoot one puck and then you had to throw a second one before the first one stopped really quickly. So it was definitely uh, a lot of dexterity involved in being a monk. But what I realized after a while is just make sure that first one counts. And the second one, only if you really think you messed up the first one, like, was I really overly concerned with it? I just wanted to get it on the board in the general area. And most of the time it would be a hit. Yeah. One of the things I'd I'd like to bring up here is that I know that it is, so the puzzle rooms, especially. So you have groups that are generally 10 people, but could range anywhere, you know, from six to 10 based on how many people actually show up. And it is very challenging to make an escape room puzzle for a range of people that everybody feels they're participating in and, you know, usefully participating in. And I think they did a really great job of that, Uh, especially the first room. Everybody was involved in the puzzle. Everybody had something to do. You know, while there was discussion about who should do what and things like that, it wasn't like, you know, people dictating other people what to do. It was really well done. Uh, it is very clear that they had worked hard on the puzzle and they had play tested the puzzle. And I was very pleased with how that turned out. Although I will say, I would probably not be one of the first groups to go through because they did say that they like changed the puzzle throughout the day. Like if it was too hard, too easy, they kind of tweaked it. I feel like that first day. So this was the first day we did go through, but we didn't go through until, you know, the afternoon. And I do like the fact that they are not so set in their ways that they're just leaving the puzzle as if is if it's too difficult. I feel like later on they were giving more clues and stuff for puzzles that were harder, you know, when we went on later in the con. So I would say I probably wouldn't want to be one of the first groups to go through that's like the quote unquote playtest or whatever. I mean, it'd still be fun. Don't get me wrong. But I do feel like they really do a good job of tweaking it and realizing where the hiccup points are throughout the course of it and really trying to help smooth that out. Yeah, I definitely got the impression that they care about the experience of the people who are involved and yep. the proctors that were in each room were really set on trying to make sure that people had a, had an enjoyable time without making it you know simple to the point of making the puzzles trivial. Yeah. Well, just as an example, the first puzzle they made harder because people were yes. getting through it yes. too easily. Yeah. So it's not always that they're just making it easier also. All right. Well, the only thing I'm going to just quickly talk about Thursday night, because I didn't really do a whole lot. I really just ran a bunch of games of Flame and Fang that night with a bunch of different groups. I actually had lines waiting. I wish I would have brought my second copy with me. We had three total physical copies of Flame and Fang with us. Uh, Unfortunately, I only had one with me. Mike had one that he was playing, and we left the other one in the car. So if I had two copies, they would have been running all night. We definitely had people waiting over an hour to play in the games. And like Mike said earlier, all the response was awesome. So super happy about that. Yeah. So that was my Thursday night. Uh, Mike, why don't you go? You haven't talked in a while. Yeah. uh, I mean, I'll go quickly because my Thursday night, I was hanging out with uh, some really cool content creators, uh, Maggie and Amy from Thinker Themer, who I had met at the Level Up event thing I went to a few weeks before. And uh, Candice from Board Game Geek, who I met briefly in the past, but this was the first convention that I really got to hang out with her a lot. 
And then also uh, a friend going back quite a bit on Facebook, but we had uh, not met in person before, was uh, Mark Dainty from Not Board Gaming, uh, his YouTube channel. He was in from the UK. And that was pretty awesome. I mean, they were all great people. Uh, they did play Flame and Fang. Um, <laughs> the four of them, while well, I kind of like oversaw the game, playing with the uh, the updated turn structure. It went great. I'm going to stop talking about Flame and Fang. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that more when it's actually coming up. Uh, but besides that, uh, we played That's Not a Hat, which I had learned at Level Up. And that's a fun little party game. And we played a bunch of uh, competitive or team-based trick-taking games because Candice loves trick-takers. And it was a blast. I guess the one, we played so many of them, that, or the two that would stand out the most were Robo Trick where it's a three-player-only game, but there's also, like, a robot, and you can see their cards, and you know how they're going to play them, so you have, like, this interesting, like, open information. And then, oh, man, there was, like, a French one that used a French tarot deck, and now I can't remember the name, but that one was really good, too. <laughs> um, if it comes to me, I'll, I'll say it. But, yeah, so a lot of competitive games besides Flame and Fang. I think everything we played was competitive, but uh, it was all pretty fun. So, yeah, that was uh, my Thursday night hanging out with other content creators. All right, Jerry, do you do anything different Thursday night? Well, before I get into my Thursday night, I wanted to bring up one of the pros of Gen Con is being able to meet all these people uh, and hang out with these people that you wouldn't ordinarily see. So I know we met several people from the UK. Uh, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't with Mike on Thursday night, but I know Thinker Themer, aren't they based out of Australia? Yeah, they're out of Australia. That's right. Yeah. And I don't know where Candace is, but it's a whole bunch of people that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to meet all coming together at Gen Con. So that, that's pretty cool. But on my Thursday night, I, if anybody's listened to my previous participation in, in con recaps, I like to try to get in RPGs at cons because I don't normally get to do them. So I got to play Call of Cthulhu, uh, which is something I try to do at each con that I go to. And it was sort of an intro scenario, but it was the only one I could get into because they all sold out very quickly, but it was called the Necropolis. It was, uh, you're a bunch of sort of Indiana Jones archaeologist style folks going to uh, an ancient Egyptian tomb and going in and finding things that you did not expect. But uh, it's always nice. Uh, I've had really nothing but good experiences going to these RPGs at cons. At first, I was a little worried about role playing with other people that you don't know. And, you know, what if you get somebody who has, a you know, is coming at it from a completely different angle and it just doesn't work out. But I've had universally good experiences playing RPGs at cons. So if you have the opportunity to do so, I highly suggest you try it out uh, if you're interested. Uh, I played with an, an awesome group uh, at Gen Con of Call of Cthulhu, uh, a mix of players who have played before and brand new players. And everybody was really getting into it. And it, it was a it was an awful lot of fun uh, overall. So uh, just generally... Shout out to doing uh, RPGs if you have any interest in it at, at conventions. Cool. All right. Well, let's go into Friday. Um, Mike, again, I feel like it's been a while since you talked. So why don't you get into what you did Friday morning? Yeah. So, okay. Just morning. What did I do Friday morning? I thought I was meeting somebody and then I was actually on the wrong day. So a lot of Friday morning, I just wandered around. David Thompson, you were supposed to meet. Yeah, yeah. yeah this thanks. is totally my fault. David Thompson yeah, did definitely Thanks wrong. for making us get up early, Mike. Yeah, yeah I know. I know. It's, I apologize. Definitely my fault. Yeah. Uh, David Thompson, a great designer, a friend. Uh, he's a friend of mine, and I've only gotten to meet him in person one other time. So we were going to meet up. We did meet up on Saturday. That's neither here nor there. But, uh, but Jerry, you actually joined me a bit for this. In the morning, we went to two events. It was in the stadium adjacent to like the main convention center. They had, I don't think they had used them in the past, but this year they had some like suites 
kind of like up overlooking the stadium. And I had two events in a row in those. The first one was uh, by Rock Manor Games. They didn't have anything to play there, but they had a bunch of stuff out. The thing that caught my eye the most is Lawyer Up, which was a competitive like 1v1 only game originally. But now uh, they're coming out with season two of the game and it's going to have a solo mode. It looks pretty robust and interesting because basically this is a uh, it's like a lawyer game where you're going back and forth and trying to like influence witnesses and things. I think it's like a matching thing, like you're trying to get things that match the witness and the witness like go, you know, you win the cross examination or whatever with the witness and things will happen because because of it. But besides you get to object. That's really the important. I I guess so. I don't know. Um, I object, Mike. I object to you, sir. But yeah, the uh, besides the solo mode, season two looks cool because the cases are very unique. So the first one they showed was uh, a divorce case and you're trying to fight for the assets. And like each of you cares more about some assets and like gets different victory points from them. So like the, uh, the, 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 well, actually it's not, I was going to say wife and husband, but they, they had uh, the, the characters flippable. So you could have kind of any male or female pairing that you would like. But like That's one cool. of them really likes uh, dogs, so like you could be really spiteful and just try to take the dog from the you don't give a crap, <laughs> you know, or uh, or like the kids, like you fight for custody of the kids. It was interesting. Um, but then there's another case that's playing like, that with my wife though. Like I got to be honest, I don't want to know what she would do in her divorce. Like, <laughs> like, maybe I do. Maybe that's just her way of like totally threatening me. Like, oh yeah, I'm taking the dogs and the kids. Like, no, <laughs> not the kids. But then uh, the the second case they showed was a film noir case where the one side is split between trying to like investigate and trying to actually like solve the, like the like finding clues, but also trying to like win in the courtroom. So and, you're like Perry Mason or my cousin Vinny? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking more uh, Phoenix Wright from the Phoenix Wright video game series. But yes, either way. Yeah, so it looks cool. Again, I didn't get to play it and they showed a few other games. And then the other thing I did in the morning, and Jerry was uh, there for a lot of this uh, with me, was uh, Off-Duty Ninja. Uh, if you haven't heard of them, there's a good reason you wouldn't have heard of them. They represent publishers, sometimes in their retail stuff, sometimes in their uh, Kickstarter stuff. So they will like handle the media, or they'll be involved in like the crowdfunding campaign, answering comments and that kind of stuff. So... They had like a whole bunch, again, no like real playing of games. They just had a ton of game boxes out, <laughs> basically. And the cool thing was you could look through them and like play around with the components and like read the rule book and stuff. So the two that I uh, hi- uh, gravitated towards were uh, The White Castle, which is a competitive dice placement game, but had a solo mode. And the interesting thing with that one is you have, uh, it's a uh, kind of Japanese themed and like the components look very beautiful. And you have uh, the dice on either uh, on bridges. So you'll have like, I don't know, four or five dice on a bridge. And you can only use the dice that are on either side. So like both players are uh, taking from the same pool. But by taking a die from a bridge, you know, you obviously unlock the next die in on that bridge. And then there's also a mechanic where when you place on spaces, you have to either gain or lose gold based on the previous uh, values on that space or based on the like action space itself. So that one looked cool, very attractive, like design. And the other one I've been excited for a long time, uh, ever since the crowdfunding campaign for it, uh, which is Sale. That's a two-player cooperative game. And kind of like Sky Team, two-player only. Um, and it's a trick taker. So a bit uh, Shades of the Fox of the Forest duet, which is also a two-player trick taker cooperative game. 
That's cool. I, I definitely want to try that one. Yeah, so, you know, you're doing, like, the regular thing of, like, winning tricks and not, but uh, based on the icons on the cards you play and the combination of them, you actually have, like, a little ship on, like, a little board, and there's, like, things chasing you and, like, krakens and dragons and things to dodge. There might not be dragons. I don't know why I said dragons. <laughs> That's not a very piratey thing. Um, no, no, it's not. So, yeah, so, I, again, I just got to kind of, like, peek through the stuff, but the production looks great. little small box game. I, I don't think it's too expensive. Uh, definitely hoping to cover both of those on the channel eventually. I think they said I, I was on whatever review list is upcoming for it. So yeah, those were uh, two I got to look through a little bit um, out of the off-duty ninja things. That was my morning, kind of uh, hanging out in the suites. Jerry, did you have anything different from that morning? Uh, no, I went to the off-duty ninja thing as well. And Mike's already covered the games. My highlight there was just being able to uh, connect with people. I saw you know Johnny again, which was nice. But I don't really have anything to add to what Mike said. Okay. So I was just going to wander around because I'd been demoing. And, like, this is a shout out to everybody who demos at these conventions. Because I had been showing off Flame and Fang the whole night before and basically playing it all day the day before, I was pretty exhausted. It ended up being a pretty late night. So I just wanted to chill out that morning. So I just walked around. I didn't even get to the dealer hall. I was planning on walking the dealer hall. But I was just walking around the demo area. And I walked by Marvel Champions. And... I saw several people, but one group in particular with like the rule books out for Marvel champions in a learn to play game and no shade against their demoers. They just had way a lot of games and one demoer for the whole area. So like there were several tables trying to, to learn this at once. So I kind of helped out there uh, just teaching some Marvel champions and then ended up sitting in with one of the groups. They're like, Hey, do you want to join us? And we didn't, it's just super fun. I mean, that's the kind of game where, you know, I just pulled out my deck that I already had because I didn't want them to have to figure out another deck or whatever. But yeah, the demoer came over and totally thanked me for helping out and like joining in and everything else. And it was just that game was just fun to play. And so, you know, it just reinvigorated my love for it, even though we were playing Rhino scenario, the basic scenario with mostly basic decks. I did bring a deck that was way better than the first scenario deck, but I held back on it quite a bit and just kind of had fun and like. If we really had a crisis, like I would, you know, go all out for a turn. But like, I just had fun playing and meeting new people. And so, yeah, it was just fun to just be able to relax and do that. So that was my Friday morning, just playing Marvel Champions, reinvigorating my love for it. Just to add in, uh, please, if you're at a convention, be nice to your demo or it is having done it. It is a very difficult job. There's often situations come up that you have not encountered before or thought of before. Uh, You might be teaching a game that. Uh, you only had started playing recently. So uh, try to be a little understanding, take it all in stride. And even if they make mistakes, just, you know, go to it for the fun of it. I know it can be tempting to, to sort of say, hey, you're supposed to be demoing. You're supposed to know everything there is to know. But, you know, even if you see something like competitive magic tournaments, they call judges over and judges have to call other judges to figure out what, you know, particular rulings are. So uh, just kind of go with the flow and, and, and enjoy what you're doing uh, and be nice to your your demo person. Yeah. So, Jerry, why don't you talk about the next thing we did, which is play Lord of the Rings Living Card Game or the card game or. Yeah, I think it was before they called them Living Card Games. I think it's just Lord no, of the Rings, they, a card game. They play called them Living Card Games for a while. They started that with, I think, Call of Cthulhu a long time ago. Anyway, so Lord of the Rings Living Card Game is, is sort of a long in the tooth game. They're re-releasing it in sort of better sets and combined sets now, but. Uh, I had played it when it originally came out many years ago. And while the gameplay was fine, uh, it didn't really feel too Lord of the Rings 
to me, but I signed up for this event anyway because all the one-stop co-op shop group, like Colin and Terrence and, and Steve and a bunch of other people were playing in this particular event, which was Hunt for the Dreadnought, I think, where everybody's going off uh, up against a, a, a big enemy ship, and it has some special rules. So I, I signed up for it more to play with other people that I knew and enjoyed playing with versus the game itself. And uh, as expected, I had an awful lot of fun. So Colin and Terrence provided me with a with a deck. It was an eagle deck. And uh, it was the table or the particular game we were in. It was me, Peter, and Steve from One Stop Co-op Shop. And Steve was sort of helping me get back into the swing of things since I hadn't played it in, in a few years. And as expected, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun because of the people I was playing with, uh, as well as the game itself. I mean, the, the game's mechanics are fun, and they, they didn't get in the way of my enjoyment at all. It still doesn't feel too much like Lord of the Rings, especially a, a sort of a going against a large ship, which isn't something that, you know, there's a whole lot of in, in Lord of the Rings. But uh, I had an awful lot of fun playing with uh, Steve and Peter, and, and eventually I think we all prevailed, uh, which was yep. fun. Yeah, no, I mean, it is Lord of the Rings is more scenario based, but it is definitely the foundation for Marvel Champions. I don't think we've ever done a, a review of Lord of the Rings, a card game, and I'm not certainly going to do a full review here. But um, it, it definitely has some mechanics to me that I am glad they updated in Marvel Champions and they've changed. But uh, the turn structure is a lot more integrated than it is in Marvel Champions, so there's not as much downtime. So I think there's definitely pros and cons. The games definitely go longer to some degree because of their turn structure, but you're also more involved, I feel like, for more of the turns. It's not like you go, I go turn structure. It's, all right, we're going to quest now. Who wants to put in questing points? How many are you putting in? Oh, you're doing this many? Well, I'm going to back out, and I'm going to do less this time. So uh, I, I do like Lord of the Rings as a change of pace, but... The only thing that made me sad now is that Jerry did enjoy his time there, which leads me more into potentially buying back into the game, which is <laughs> not necessarily a good thing because uh, there's there's a lot of stuff out there, even just in the re- re-releases, and uh, it'll definitely add up pretty quickly. So uh, please support our Patreon. And, uh, <laughs> right. no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, no. If you buy it, I'll play it uh, in uh, apparently vain hope that I'll, I'll feel the Lord of the Rings theme come through on that, but I still always I end think, up going back to war of the ring uh, as my go-to for the, that, that theme. Of course. Yeah, no. And I mean, the theme is what you put into these games, uh, Marvel champions and Lord of the rings included, you know, it is definitely like the theme is there on every card, but whether you feel it or not is definitely going to be, you know, what you bring to the table because it's, you, you could totally ignore the theme. You could totally ignore what's on the card, except for like numbers and stuff. And you could certainly play it that way, or you could really dive into the theme. I think people who are really into it, like Terrence and Colin and Steve, really do get into the theme of every mission. They're like, oh, in this mission, you're doing this and this. And they really describe the world. I think, you know, again, you could go at it either way and it, make it as thematic as you want. But for me, both Marvel Champions, which I love, and Lord of the Rings, which I like, you know, don't feel very much like you know what they're doing. I just like, you know, beating stuff up in cool card play. Uh, and if you're in it for that, they, they certainly both have that as well. I, I would say I, if you're in the Lord of the Rings theme, look for an opportunity to play with uh, Colin, Terrence or Steve. If you yeah. want to enjoy the game. <laughs> <laughs> Not Peter is what he's saying is really what I heard. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. And, and don't let Mike build your deck. 
that's that's for sure. <laughs> All right, Mike, what were you doing that uh, Friday afternoon? So this was a pretty exciting one. I got to play a couple of things. I mean, here's the big one. I got to play uh, a, the current build of the Elder Scrolls chip theory game which if you don't know anything about it, it is heavily based on Too Many Bones, which is Chip Theory's kind of biggest success game, of course. This is a solo cooperative kind of adventure battling, tactical battling on a map uh, kind of thing. And yeah, uh, a lot of the like big changes have already been reported, but I got to play through almost an entire session. We like were maybe a couple rounds shy, and then I wanted to see some of 20 Strong and other Chip Theory games, so we didn't quite finish it. But big things, this will make most sense if you're already a Too Many Bones uh, fan, but uh, they just updated some things that I think everyone can agree is probably a little bit better <laughs> than the way Too Many Bones does it. So Too Many Bones has a problem where you, as you go along, the uh, enemy forces keep getting larger and larger, but if you lose a battle, you don't get any stronger, so you can kind of like fall behind the curve and just die. And this game fixes that because the enemy forces are based on your own experience level, so only if you get stronger do they get stronger now. You know, you could complain that means that you both are getting stronger. You never actually feel stronger, but that's definitely not the case. Uh, the leveling is very different here, and it's pretty awesome from what I saw. Like, again, you, you can splash into all these skill trees. It does give the characters less identity, but if you like character customization, like I was a uh, rogue with cool archery skills and, like, some sneaky skills, but I could have just as easily been, like, a barbarian who not only swings giant axes, but, like, summons demons and plays with, like, blood magic. So the character stuff was really cool. It's all... You're, you're moving your chip around a hex-based map, um, which didn't have much going on. Uh, we went, we had a like little dungeon crawl delve at the end that had more stuff and like more terrain effects. But like the the basic the basic fights was pretty much just like plain terrain, enemies on this side, you on this side, go, which was enough because your skills are really cool and the stuff the enemies are doing is pretty uh, challenging sometimes. So it didn't like really feel boring or anything. But yeah, the leveling up was great. The adventuring is a little bit like, for anybody who's seen our coverage of Hoplomachus Victorum, the solo-only chip theory game, it's a little bit like that where you're kind of moving around to different like hub spots and they'll determine whether you uh, you could have like uh, non-combat encounters, you could have sometimes combat encounters and actual combat encounters and extra delves and stop in like towns to rest and train and get items and stuff. It was very, uh, it was, it was pretty smooth playing even at this early build. Like there wasn't much to track that was annoying. Annoying. The uh, player boards were great already. Um, the skilled dice were excellent. Unlike too many bones, your cool abilities keep cycling back. So it's not like you just use them once and they're gone. Like I had this amazing uh, bow skill that would let me do four damage to people who were adjacent to me, spread out however I wanted, and then jump away, and then I would pepper them with more arrows. So it was great. <laughs> Yeah, and then the delve was very challenging. It was like kind of more exploratory based. Like we would move to a spot and put and draw a card, and that would determine like who spawned and what the new terrain would look like. So it was kind of an evolving like dungeon crawl feel, which is very new for chip theory. They've never done like a dungeon crawl kind of thing before. So yeah, uh, overall, the, the scary thing for me is I owned like basically everything for too many bones in a giant trove chest. And the scary thing is I could see this making me replace it, which <laughs> I like too many bones. I don't want to replace it, but uh, it was excellent. Uh, very few complaints and the game the game is more than a year out and already i'm like dang i would just buy this almost today like once they finish the art and graphic design so that was awesome and then um the last thing i did for the afternoon so i did see 20 strong it's great uh I, they gave me an early copy of it uh for review and i'm actually gonna have a playthrough up uh monday i think or tuesday next week we have a lot of gen con videos up next week i've been working really hard since i got back on them 
Um, but yeah, I'll have a playthrough of 20 Strong. It's it's pretty great. It's very random. It's a dice game. I wasn't sure how random it would be at first, and now I appreciate that it is very random sometimes. But it's also like, <laughs> like I, I, yeah, sometimes the dice just don't go your way, or the cards. It's more the cards not going your way actually than the dice. The dice are very mitigatable. The cards not always so much. But yes, but it's like a 10 to 15 minute game. So it's it's a blast so far. I'm really uh, happy with that one. Um, but yeah, I we don't talk about this side of things too much. But Peter, well, I, I don't know if you do this, Peter. I think you do. But we'll just like meet with designers sometimes, friends of ours or not friends, people that we talk to online. And we'll just like talk about their games and like kind of help them with their design. You know, like not in any way that we're going to like get money for it or like get, ask for a development fee or like co-designing credit. But like we'll just kind of be sounding boards. I, I certainly do this a lot. Well, like Henry and Chris did for with us for yeah, Flame exactly, and Fang. exactly. I mean, like designers, it's good to find a group of friends that are also designers and just kind of talk to each other. So this one was a mix of that and um, coverage for the YouTube channel because all these things kind of blend together a bit. Uh, this guy from I think it's Envy Born Games. He's doing a set of three like very small micro games, like all of them crowdfunding together, and I, I'm assuming you can buy them separately or all together. And I got to play two of the three, the two that have solo modes. And they were both, they're both like very small, you know, like 18 card games uh, where you're trying to score the most points. The first one was Sirens, which was the less interesting tactical one, but it's still a cool game. You're basically trying to build a row of uh, cards, like your song, and you draw two cards a turn. You have to give one to the enemy and one to yourself. So just like that little tactical choice of like oh man what's going to help me out a lot but oh crud that card's going to help them out a ton and like and the rules for what helps the enemy changes so it's it, it stays kind of uh consistently interesting but the, yep. the the cool hook for that one is that uh you're supposed to be like the sirens in greek mythology like luring us uh, sailors to their death and uh they have an app for the game that already worked even though the game's not like completely done yet where uh, the actual cards you're putting down have like music notes on them. Again, if you go back and watch my Gen Con video, you can see this. And you scan the cards with an app, and then it plays your song back to you. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, so it was really, it's just a cool hook. You know, like the game is fine. I wouldn't say it's amazing, but that I'm like, ah, oh, that's really neat. The other one I played uh, is very good. Now, neither of these are available yet. No, no. Right? So I, I did agree. Like, I wasn't sure if I would do a video. So the guy was like, hey, let me show you the games and play them. So, like, now I'm definitely doing a video for Sirens and Defrag. So they will be coming to crowdfunding soon. I think you said like September, October. But yeah, so the other one was called Defrag. You're trying to defrag a drive. So you're actually like moving these cards around. It's less pretty than Sirens, but it was very, very good uh, tactical, like action point gameplay positioning. Reminded me a bit of one of my recent favorite ones, uh, Rove, which is another like 18 card uh, button shy game. So yeah, Defrag looks awesome. I, I liked it more than like Sirens. I like the art better. I like the theme better. And I like the little hook of the music. But if I just want pure, interesting, solo, puzzly goodness, uh, Defrag was definitely the one to go for there. So those that, that's what I played. Uh, Elder Scroll. So giant, over $100 chip theory game, followed by uh, two micro games that are probably going to be like 10 or 15 bucks each. Nice. Uh, Jerry, you and I were supposed to, after our Lord of the Rings game, go do a Thunder Road demo. But honestly, I think we were both exhausted from the morning and from the day before. So we went and got food because it was three o'clock and we hadn't eaten anything since breakfast. So we went over, grabbed food. We were supposed to do, like I said, Thunder Road Vendetta. I think it cost Jerry money because we didn't end up going to this demo because Jerry he will tell you about his next morning experience, but uh, ended up picking up Thunder Road after we didn't play it. Although I think you probably would have bought it anyway. 
Yeah, um, apparently. At, at that point. <laughs> yeah. So then we all went to Defenders of the Realm. Is that the next thing we did? I didn't do Defenders of the Realm. You were with us, though, right? You were in the room. You didn't was play, it? but you were there. Yes, you were I off to the side. I wasn't paying attention to you. You clearly were. <laughs> but um, so we know Daryl Louder, who's with oh, Flat yeah, yeah, River Group. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Okay. So we went in, and I had seen him a couple times throughout the course of the con, and he's, you know, helping redesign Defenders of the Realm. So we were like, hey, we do co-op games. We'd like to see it. So we went in and got to play a couple rounds of it. And Mike, you're really good at recapping games. So why don't you recap, you know, just the basics of the game and kind of your initial impressions? Sure. Yeah, Mike, talk some more. <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll go quick. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Defenders of the Realm is a pandemic-based game that Richard Launius designed years and years ago. It's it's based on pandemic, but it was like a three-hour monstrosity, like very epic adventure game, but also had some, you know, potential problems because it was like all dice rolling to defeat enemies. And yeah, so this is a, there's a lot similar in here, but uh, solo co-op game. Uh, there's four generals you have to defeat. These bosses, they are moving towards the center of the city, and so are their minions. If too many people get to the center of the city, then you lose. And the players are moving around fighting the minions. So the minions that you defeat in dice-based combat are the cubes in Pandemic. You're trying to kind of manage the crises and kill them. And uh, you're trying to build up cards of the same color to, instead of curing diseases, kill the generals. That's kind of like where the pandemic crossover happens and this new version maintains that but a lot of other stuff is very different you have a unique cards for each of your characters the characters have a bunch of unique abilities and the cards themselves they will uh let you move or attack so basically you're playing cards to move or attack on your turn but then the cards will have like special powers like i had one that was like okay so not only do you move but you also like charge in and then you also get a free attack you know so like very cool abilities happening and then, like, the abilities on your character sheets were really neat, too. And, again, completely unique, each character kind of doing their own thing. This is one that had the turn structure that I don't like so much anymore, but we had until recently in our own game. You're kind of, like, freeform, just, like, playing cards whenever you want to. Uh, you're moving around. You're fighting minions uh, in dice-based combat. You're trying to roll high. And sometimes you have ways to mitigate. Sometimes you don't. Uh, you're taking damage. If you take too much, you go back to the uh, the town. And you're, again, building up to these, like, big general fights where you have to discard a bunch of cards of their color, roll a ton of dice, and try to kill them, and usually, like, kind of work together on it. So it's kind of an early build, but the the components looked ridiculous. Now, I have no idea yes. to what extent that will represent the actual game, but, like, ridiculous miniatures, not just of, like, the enemies and the characters, uh, but also, like, just... Uh, the minions and stuff, too. Well, that's what I said. The minions, but also, like, terrain on the board, and, like, the castle had, like, little castle walls. Um, so I think miniature lovers and just like blinged component lovers will certainly like this game. I I had some issues with the gameplay itself. Some, uh, what I thought were unfun mechanics. Some of them carry overs from the old system. Some of them entirely new problems (laughs) to be created, at least for my taste, but a lot of it was great. I thought the characters were awesome. I thought, uh, a lot of like the tactical play around the board was cool. What about you, Peter? how do you feel about it? I had fun on my turn. I had fun doing what I was doing. I even had fun watching everybody else's turns when they were doing what they were doing because I liked seeing how their cards were different than mine and how they could do different things than I was able to do. And some characters could move better and some characters could do other things better and fight better or whatever else. Uh, I, I liked a lot of like how there were different spaces on the board that like you, you could do different questing actions and things like that on different spaces. All of that was really fun. I thought it was playing a little bit long. 
and I thought, like you said, like there was some randomness with card draw and some randomness with the boss fights that was still in there. Like if you lost to minions, like you kind of double lost because not only they're still on the board, but now you're taking damage as well. So there were plenty of ways to mitigate dice, things like that. But there are some things that I would like to see smoothed out a little bit. But the good news is we know Daryl and we can give him all this feedback before the game releases and hopefully, you know, take it to heart and make a better game. I know we've played many games in early prototype form. We're like, yeah, I didn't love this part of it. And, you know, then by the time final release comes out, the game is much, much better. I think they have a good core system there. I really had fun with what we were doing. Um, I think, you know, with a couple of tweaks, the game could be super fun. And, and I want to say, I'm not even sure they need to tweak anything. I'm not a big fan of the original Defenders of the Realm, and I don't think you are either, right, Peter? Correct. So, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff in the game will appeal to old fans of Defenders, but in a quicker playing, prettier, kind of slightly more interesting in many ways, uh, more modern design. Well, what you're doing on your turn is way more fun than Defenders. Yeah. Defenders was like, move or attack or do whatever. Now that's all controlled by cards yes which have kind of the same actions on them but a lot of times it's like attack but if you're fighting undead do this or if you got this do that or get more dice or re-roll or whatever else so like they had special actions if you use the card for you know what the power on the card was so it, it just made everything more interesting you weren't limited by the cards in your hand but if you wanted to do the coolest part of the cards you kind of, they, they push you in a certain direction, yeah. which I, I really appreciate it. So, so more to be seen, but uh, certainly a lot of stuff to like and some things to maybe not be so sure about so far with that one. Well, I, yep. I had a couple comments about that. As an outside observer, I did not play. I just watched them play. Two things I noted. One was that it it appeared that your characters were awesome from the get-go. Yes, right? versus, definitely. definitely. Uh, yeah, versus the original Defenders of the Realm where you kind of had to build up to that your guys were doing stuff from the very beginning. Seemed interesting and a little bit faster from the development standpoint. The other thing was sort of a general observation that I thought it was interesting that you have two types of co-op games that are essentially based on the pandemic system, where you have pandemic where everything is determined by the card play versus uh, Defenders of the Realm, which I thought was a little bit too determined by the dice. And now it seems like both sides, when they're releasing new stuff, sort of go towards the other. So for example, with pandemic you see, can see something like the clone wars game or the world of warcraft yep, game that yep. are based on the pandemic pandemic system but have some dice rolling in there and then you have this redo of defenders of the realm where it's kind of pulling it back towards the pandemic side of things where it's not quite as random as a full launius dice fest kind of game so i thought that was kind of interesting that they're both pulling back towards the middle of that yeah no, i think it's a good observation and i i totally agree and then the only other thing i did that night we were kind of Gonna do a meetup, but it didn't quite work out. So uh, I I ended up going to a place called Tappers, and I'm just gonna throw this in real quick. I'm not gonna go over details, but if you're ever at Gen Con or ever in Indianapolis and you love old school video games, old school arcade, this place is freaking awesome. So it's free games when you go in, like the pinball you have to pay for, but all other old school video games are free and they're like literally strewn about the place. Uh, and it's a bar also, so you can get beer while you're there. They think. They even have their own custom beers, if I'm not mistaken. I think so, they bring them in from other places, but yeah. 
Yeah, so we've done tappers every year. Uh, it's usually an event. We did that Friday night. I think we usually do it Friday night. I will say because it's kind of become an event that people know about on Friday nights, not necessarily the best night to go there because there was a line outside the bar by the end of the night. But uh, yeah, I mean, you could do it any night. It doesn't need to be Friday and you're going to have fun if you go with some friends and play video games. So definitely an annual tradition, something I love doing and uh, just as fun this year. Mike, that was your first time at Tappers. What did you think? Uh, it was cool. Uh, there are a lot of video games that I had not played in forever. Like we were playing. Uh, so I've been hanging out with some other content creators some of that night. And I end up, my phone died and I kind of had to go to Tappers. So I wouldn't know that I had to ride home. <laughs> um, but I was hanging out with uh, Mark Dainty again. Jeremy Howard, a friend across many years at this point from Man vs. Meeple. Uh Jenna Beasley, I want to say Beasley. Board um, Game Garden. Yeah, from uh, Board Game Garden. And crud, I forget his last name, but uh, De- Peter, who's involved you with. You don't have to name drop the whole time. It's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, well, one of the people involved with, one of the people involved with uh, Flamecraft. And yeah, so, we've, so we, we all went to Tappers and yeah, it was fun. Uh, playing, we played the Simpsons game. Y'all remember the old like Simpsons, uh, you know, yep. side scrolling, beat him up. Yep. We played Gauntlet. I played a we shooting played game. I had not played a light gun game in forever. And man, I miss light gun games. Like clearly I don't necessarily want to get games with guns for my kids anymore. I think the world has changed since uh, I was playing them, but still like it was just fun to point, point something at the screen and, and click and make zombies go dead. You know? So, uh, oh, yeah, my, was, I have a light gun cabinet at my, my house. Yeah, you should come you. Over. Well, I, I invite me over Jerry. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> So I, I thought it was a good time. I mean, in, in retrospect, uh, we had some people meeting up for board games and I kind of wish I was there, but uh, what we were doing was still a lot of fun. Well, I invited them all to come join us at Tappers, to be fair, and they decided that they didn't want to walk the mile to get over there. For me, totally worth it, but I could see why people wouldn't necessarily want to walk a mile away. Yeah, it's fun um, to go over here. Well, and I, I felt like I needed exercise too. As much as anything, I just <laughs> wanted to get the walk in. You know, it's like a mile there, a mile back. Like I felt a lot better after sitting around playing games for for three straight days at that point, or two two straight days, I guess. Uh, so, lastly, we'll go over Saturday. My Saturday morning, real quick. I played Marvel Champions again. I played the new set. It's called Next Evolution. That's coming out. It is based on the oh well, X Force. I did not. They did not let you play any of the new heroes, so you had to bring your own decks to that. But you did get to play through the first scenario, and I thought it was really cool. It was a multi-villain scenario where you're fighting against multiple different villains, and I think there were like eight or nine of them. But the nice part, unlike normal Marvel, Marvel Champions where you defeat an enemy and then you go to their next stage, here when you defeat an enemy, you went to a completely different enemy. So you had to beat like three different enemies. Uh, it was a nice, quick first scenario and i thought it was really good for a first scenario like i really enjoyed that so uh that's marvel champions next evolution i played that all morning saturday morning how about you guys i mean i I had a lot of meetings the only thing i actually played in the morning or sorry actually the entire morning and afternoon was um very very exciting one i talked about this in my video a horror on the orient express so Chaosium, that is most known for the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game that uh, Jerry mentioned already, uh, they are trying to get into the board gaming scene a bit more. So this, uh, usually we think of this kind of game coming from our uh, Fantasy Flight. They do like the most of the Lovecraftian uh, games. But this is Chaosium. So Horror on the Orient Express, a solo co-op game. It's based on a famous, I think, adventure from Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge campaign oh, got it, got that it. has been sold in multiple editions. It's you know expensive, but 
very detailed. Yeah, so I got to play about half a game of this. It was super early. Like, all the art was cobbled from other, like, Call of Cthulhu assets or just, like, online pictures. The icons were, like, terrible. But dang, the gameplay was great. So just to, like, kind of... I'm just going to give you a few flashes of thematic awesomeness. And But all, the cool thing is all the thematic stuff I'm talking about was also very engaging tactically. So you've got a vampire walking around the train cars drinking the blood and murdering the passengers and you can open the shades of the train car to weaken him you can also lure him to train cars where the passengers are ready to like fight and aren't easy victims for him that was awesome you have monsters running along the side of the train spawning and some of them grabbing enemies out of the train or haunting their dreams or doing other stuff and oh by the way the the uh the windows you're opening to make sunlight weaken the vampire those are the exact same windows that if you open them, one of the monsters can grab people inside. Uh, so you are then punching the monsters and making them fall back. And if you punch them hard enough, they fall back behind where the train is. And that's how you kill them. You just knock them off like far back enough from the train track, which if you speed the train up, becomes a lot easier to do. And then uh, <laughs> you are also trying to figure out which of these suspects are cultists, secret cultists in this bag drawing, push your luck mechanic. That was a lot of fun. Basically you're having conversations with them and not just with them, but also with like the uh, the passengers on the train. I love how you just stop to have a conversation with somebody as a vampire is like attacking you. Well, no, no, no. Like, so the thing is, having people off the train. That, that's the game, Goose. That, that's the game. Yeah, no, no, I I, I get it, <laughs> but it's just like, well, so hey, buddy, tell me about your family. Well, no, no, <laughs> like, the whole idea is that they don't they don't know what's going on. A lot of it is hidden from them, you know, and like they're kind of like in a daze anyway. So, but that's the whole thing, Peter. What you just said is exactly right. So you are asking about the other passengers and accidentally made it, letting things slip. So if you go too far and you uh, push your luck and draw too many tokens from the bag, then you could drive the passenger that you're talking to insane or terrify them. And then they'd be weaker and easier to kill by the monsters or by the uh, by the vampire. So, no, you're, you're right. Like thematically, like what you just said, exactly what happens. And then there were like uh, the characters each have different awesome abilities. Like I had a bounty hunter who could like uh, form a posse and have other passengers push the monsters off the train for him. But then they would be driven, like get wounded or insane from the experience. You could learn magic where you could uh, er (laughs) eradicate parts of a train, like blow them up. Just be like, well, we're not gonna worry about that part of the train anymore. Yeah, it was just, it was awesome. Like every choice was thematic, but the gameplay was still pretty smooth. Like I could literally sit down and teach the entire game right now. That's how straightforward the mechanics were, even though it had a lot going on. And I am, I am, That's cool. I am beyond excited for it. Like uh, I am a hundred and ten percent there for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah, so what was the name of that one again? Horror on the Orient Express, coming to crowdfunding. I think early next year, like maybe. Yeah, it's supposed to be early twenty twenty four. Yeah, it was. You know, they recently announced it. Like. I don't know, a couple of weeks before Gen Con. And there was a bit of discussion about it. But, you know, as somebody who's really enjoys Call of Cthulhu as well as Horror on the Orient Express, the campaign, I am very interested in this one. Looks really good. Yeah, I'll figure. Cool. Now, the, the only thing I'll say is <laughs> uh, one of the designers of this one, who uh, is my friend Adam, who uh, he also does, uh, I think, co designed Nemesis from. Uh, Awaken Realms, co-designed Frostpunk, the recent game, co-designed this War of Mine. If you heard all those three games and you know anything about them, you know they're all really hard. And it was the funniest thing. I figured if I told you this, uh, Peter and Jerry. Um, so uh, I walked with him down to the stadium to talk to some other uh, people that were playing a different version of the game, just to like say hi to the other uh, co-designer of the game. And... <laughs> 
<laughs> he looked at their board. They had just finished playing. This other group played an entire game. And <laughs> they were all dead. And they were still like, you know, seven spaces from the train, like exiting. And they hadn't found all the cultists. Like they were, they were quite a ways from winning. And they weren't even like, and he looked at, he was like, oh man, you all did really well. I think I'll have to make the game a little bit harder. Oh God. Oh gosh. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, come on, Adam, you don't need to do that. <laughs> So yes, he, he is not known for making his games easy. He certainly has yeah. his preferences with how, how things should go. But yeah, I, I thought wow, it was, I, I thought it was awesome. I really like like uh, Nemesis and Frostpunk. I thought was well designed, if not quite to my taste. Yeah, and Frostpunk was also very much like a solo game that you could play co op. Yeah. This is a hundred percent like you have tons of unique, interesting actions on your character, and you really got to like carefully discuss how you're going to divide things up and help each other out and like kind of do things together. So no, I thought it was uh, I thought it was excellent. Yep. So next, uh, well, Jerry. Ran and got Thunder Road Vendetta first thing in the morning, right? Yeah, I, I actually uh, stood in the uh, great group of people that uh, waits for the doors to open at 10 a.m. to get into the vendor hall on Saturday morning, which is something I had said I wasn't going to do, but I had heard that Thunder Road Vendetta, the Maximum Chrome Edition, which is the edition that has all the expansions with it, they were going to have an additional 100 copies. They sold out early on Thursday. And uh, didn't have any copies on Friday, but brought in an extra 100 copies on Saturday. So I decided to stand in the great throng of people that was <laughs> waiting to get in on Saturday morning. A decision which, unfortunately, I don't regret. But we all rushed in when they opened the doors at, at 10 a.m. And I managed to get number 76 in line for the 100 copies of Thunder Road Vendetta Maximum Chrome Edition. So we'll, we'll, we did a play of that game later, so we'll talk about it then. But yeah. after that... As soon as I got the game, I rushed over and we did another True Dungeon. So, Peter, do you want to talk about this one? Yeah, no, I just want to quickly say it was just as great as the first one. The people we were with were great again. In fact, I had, like, laid out my my monk character sheet. I had, like, put all my gear on. He, and one of the people just came up and they're like, which spots don't you have gear for? And he literally just started putting chips on my board, like, from his own personal stash, like, filling my character all the way up. Now it was, you know, basic common gear or whatever. But, you know, it was just really neat i went from a character sheet that was less than half full to one that was almost all the way full up so just people are really nice you know people have done this before i would still say that's not going to be everybody's experience there but it was my experience that day and the puzzles were just as great again i think one of the more fun puzzles was the first room in that next one again um just a really fun physical you know puzzle that required everybody to be fully engaged i think they just do a really good job and i don't regret any of the time spent at uh, True Dungeon. This one was a, a ghost theme one, like a haunted mansion or whatever. So, but yeah. so very different theme wise, but just as fun, if not more fun, you know, because we got to do it longer and more. Yeah. So. We had a third ticket. So we invited uh, Barrett from Meet Me at the Table, uh, also of One Stop Co op Shop, to join us on this one. He was excited because he had never done True Dungeon before. And I'll just echo what Peter said. The puzzles were, for the most part, really well done. I know it's extremely difficult to get everybody engaged in those puzzles, but they obviously had come up with puzzles and play tested them and ended up with puzzles that were interesting for everybody involved. So I think we had a we had a lot of fun doing that one. And Peter and Barrett died, which is always good. <laughs> yes. Yes. We definitely died. So when you die, you get everything that you would normally get, except for one thing that says, I survived, and the name of the dungeon you survived. Yeah, you don't get a pin, but everything else you get. (laughs) You still get all this loot and all this other stuff and experience and everything else. So, like, 
it, yeah, it's and, still it, it doesn't matter that much. And, and to be it, clear, they died good. in the last room. It wasn't it 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 didn't impact the, how how much they were were participating at all. No, it was literally the second to last round of the fight. You guys did one round after we died. And honestly, the quote unquote ghost in the room was talking to us the whole time while you guys were dying and trying to like get us to like squeal on uh, on the group. And Barrett did. So he became labeled as the traitor <laughs> or whatever at the end. It was really funny. Like yeah, it, it, was, was it was good. It was good. It was very well incorporated. And I will say one of the other monsters in this one, they had a hilarious actor playing this. This I won't say what it was, but. They had a hilarious actor. And like, if you know, you got a puck that hit the, the picture of the monster, like in the face, then they would say, Oh, you hit me in the eye. <laughs> right. Like it was just hilarious stuff like that all throughout. Cause at first you didn't see, you know, that there was an actor back there doing all this. I was like, where is that noise coming from? But yeah, no, they, they did a really yeah, good they, job. They went the extra mile. It was, it was good. It was, it was a lot of fun. And then Mike, I don't know if you had anything else before our Kess games meeting. No, that, that, I'm. I'm uh, that's until like. Yeah, I don't think we should talk too much about that. There was not really anything public, but bottom line is, Cast Games again, the one who are doing Mega Man Adventures. We really are very happy with what they're doing, and we may be working with them again in the future. I think that's probably enough for that, right? That's all I would say. <laughs> yep. And uh, so the next game I played was definitely my game of the convention. Jerry and I went over and had another demo with Restoration Games. This time we went to it, and this was for <laughs> Unmatched Adventures. Tales to Amaze, the co-op solo version of Unmatched. So Unmatched is normally a 1v1 battler on a map where you have a deck of cards and you play different cards and your heroes all have unique powers and you know they can do different things. This is the new co-op version that is a Kickstarter that hasn't yet delivered, but they had production copies there. So... And they weren't selling it, to be clear. No, they, they it was weren't. just it was just a demo. And I had a blast with this. This this was absolutely I liked unmatched okay. I actually thought about buying some unmatched stuff before the convention, but Jerry owns most of it. So I kind of asked Jerry what he owned and what he didn't own. And I was like, well, I'm thinking about buying a couple of sets that he didn't own, mostly the Marvel stuff, just because, you know, I, I like that kind of thing. But I was like, you know, I don't know how much I'll play it. Because I like the game okay, but I don't think it's great competitive. Um, now, some people love it, of course, but I, I think it's fine. I, I like it okay. But this Unmatched Adventure, I had a super fun time with. This was, you know, similar to Mike's Game of the Convention, the Cthulhu one. This was my Game of the Convention. I really enjoyed Unmatched Adventures. You know, it was just enemies, the enemy flipping a card whenever you attack them or whether whenever they attacked you off the top of their deck that told you what their attack power or defense power was or whatever. But just the interesting combos of things that they do and how they were trying to win the adventure or whatever. I just had a lot of fun with it. In fact, I had so much fun with it. I did end up buying those Marvel sets there afterward. So I I did end up picking up some unmatched with the excitement of knowing that I can take those characters from the competitive game and play them in this unmatched adventure. And they also said this was not the plan was this not to be their only set of unmatched adventures. They're definitely planning on going uh, down the road with this, with more stuff as well. And we only played one of the two bosses and just had a blast doing that. Yeah. We, we played against Mothman and there's a, each uh, boss comes with a number of minions equal to the number of players. I think of which there's, I think there's six that come in the box and we played a four player. And so we played against four of them. So for the most part, I generally prefer competitive games to cooperative games. I know that's, you know, sacrilege on the one-stop co-op shop, but 
that's probably why I'm not on the show more often, but <laughs> this is the cooperative version. And it was absolutely great. Each, uh, like, as I've come to expect, each one of the the heroes has their own unique way of going about things. And they're all very different. And they get to play their own hand. And they get to do their own thing without people directing them because they know how their deck works or how their hero works. But that also extends to the minions and the boss that we fight. So each of the four minions we have, well, I can really only speak to three of the three of the four minions because we concentrate on killing one of the one of the minions before they really had a chance to do much of anything. Mm-hmm. But each of the minions was doing its own thing. Like one of the minions was making us discard cards from our deck, which really hurt. Yeah, you. one Another, was dropping acid pools yeah, on the one board. Of them was, one was dropping was webs really, on the board. Yeah, one of yeah. us was preventing us from moving. One of us was really hurting us. Like I almost died a couple times. But it was it was great. I had an awful lot of fun for a cooperative game. We were all participating. We were all discussing. Nobody was directing anybody else. We were working together to accomplish the mission. And we did win, but it was really, really good. Yeah, and then I just played two more games that night. I'm going to go over these quickly, and then Mike can finish off, because we're almost at two hours. So we're going to cut it off here pretty quickly. But uh, Jerry and I played Thunder Road Vendetta after that with Henry. I th- yeah, it was just the three of us. Yeah, it was just three and- of us. And that game was really fun. I mean, if you like chaotic fun, that's what it was. Don't go in expecting some heavy strategy game. Yeah, not no. by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> yeah, but the games seemed to last the right amount of time for what it was. I really enjoyed the the whole time we were playing that one. So yeah, was, that one was... It was chaotic, yeah. but it didn't overstay its welcome. It was an awful lot of fun. We played the base game with the Chop Shop expansion, which adds unique crew chiefs, which gives you a unique power and... Uh, some other stuff, and then some upgrades to your individual vehicles. It, it was a lot of fun. I highly recommend Thunder Road Vendetta. And with the Chop Shop expansion, now, which is the hardest one to get, but I really <laughs> did appreciate the individual powers that each of our different cars got. I thought that added a lot to the game. I mean, it would be fine without it, but I think it took it to 11 with those powers. So what else did we play? I think we played... And uh, then the last thing we played Battle was Greyport. Battle for Greyport. Yeah. Yep, and I should have known not to play this with Henry, but it was, again, Jerry, Henry, and I. And he had told us days earlier he didn't like when you didn't know when to play on your turn and what to do. And Battle for Greyport is literally, you can play your cards down at one moment, and you do whatever that special power does, and then later on you can attack with them or whatever else. I love the game a lot, but definitely not Henry's kind of game because of all that chaos and when you could play your turns and you're playing on other people's turns and there's no structure to the turns at all uh, which is something I never thought about before because I always just enjoyed playing it and had played with people who had played before or who didn't mind that kind of thing but definitely Henry had a issue with you know the the random ability to just jump in whenever you wanted to he likes more structure well to his turns there there is to be a... fair no to be fair I felt it too this time when you're playing with somebody who doesn't like that, I also feel like it impacts everybody. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would so say that Greyport has never felt like that kind of game to me. I think it's pretty clear. I mean, first of all, it is one player's turn. They're dealing with their monsters. I think it has a clear structure. I would not apply some of the complaints I said about other games to Greyport personally. Well, no, but anybody can lay down their creature. I'm like, well, hold on. If you play yours first, then you can help me draw cards. If I get a weapon for this guy, then it'll do really well. You know what I mean? There's definitely a lot of that type discussion. And if you don't necessarily like that freeform, I, I do think, I, I mean, you weren't part of the game, but that was definitely part of it because he's like, when can I do something? 
you know, at, at several points throughout sure, the sure, game. Sure. And well, we were I, all tired. It was the end of the convention. So to be fair, I didn't do the best job explaining everything. And we were just kind of like, I don't know. I was a little bit realizing he wasn't enjoying himself. So I was trying to rush through it a little bit more, which probably led to more chaos mm-hmm. and more whatever. So yeah, there, there was definitely a lot of that as well. Well, I wouldn't um, say it's, a, it, they don't have a structure. Like, I think there's a clear structure to Greyport, but I think, uh, and, and to be clear, I, Greyport is a co-op game that I pretty much enjoy, but it does have a clear structure, but the structure is not intuitive. I sure, think. Sure, um, sure. And I think it's something you have to get used to. And I think Henry had a little bit of, of trouble understanding the structure of the game. But the main problem I think we ran into there is card row where you can purchase new cards because Greyport is a bit of a deck builder. The cards that came up in the in the card row did not mesh with what we needed. Two two of the players required a certain type of card, and th- those type of cards were not were not appearing. Uh, which is something that you can see in some other games. Uh, I think Hogwarts Battle is yeah. a, is a good is a good example of that. And I don't think we've experienced that too much in Greyport because it it seems to be pretty rare. But we managed to encounter it. And if you don't get the cards you need, uh, I think we blew through the first two parts and then we got to the final boss and the final boss just crushed us. It, it wasn't even, yeah, it wasn't even a, you know, entertaining uh, <laughs> it, in going against them. But yeah, we lost like in the first round. It was the second yeah, round. It, it was officially, it was, it was but bad. it was basically we lost in the first round. Yeah. So I, I'll disagree with Peter a little bit that I think it has a clear structure on how the turns go, but that structure is not something that you see in a whole lot of other games. For sure. So if you, if you aren't used to it, it might be difficult to sort of figure that out and understand what's going on. And I, I don't think Peter and I did a very good job of explaining it. Well, and it was the end of the last day of the con too. So I think and, everybody was exhausted. Yeah, We've and, been and playing by games Peter and, and I not explaining the entire time. it by Peter and I not explaining it very well. I mean, really Peter. Just to be clear. <laughs> I, I totally agree. All right, Mike, what did you end up playing that last night? Yeah, so we did get together, Colin and uh, some people from the Discord, Nick and Alex, and a few, uh, I don't remember all the names, but yeah, so a bunch of like people from Discord and from the channel. I never played a game with Colin before in person. We played uh, Letter Jam, which is one of my favorite like uh, party kind of casual games. That's a cooperative deduction uh, like spelling game, and that was a blast as always. Um, I totally got my word wrong, but we still one because I used the wild to save me, but everyone else did much better than I did. I had not played the game in a while. And, uh, oh, that's right. When I was at the check game edition, uh, I had a meeting with them. They said there's a letter jam online now that you can play, which I think would be great. Maybe I'll play that after we're done recording the podcast. <laughs> and then, uh, the other one we played was one I've been enjoying a lot recently, deep rock galactic. This was the first, that's a, if you don't know, it's based on a video game. It's, uh, we've done, uh, Steve has done some like streaming content on it. It's uh, cooperative, uh, two to four characters. You can solo control multiple characters, but you're like dwarves, like trying to mine. It's kind of like you're trying to complete missions while the enemies are annoying you. You don't have to kill the enemies and the weapons, like each of the dwarves has different like classes and special abilities. I never played a four player before. And after this game, I probably would not choose to play four player again. Um, <laughs> the game can already be pretty random and sometimes like bad things can happen. And man, that's exacerbated to kind of a ridiculous degree when you have four players, because you can, if, if the cards come out the right way, like an enemy can get next to you. And then for the next three turns, because enemies can theoretically, depending on the card draw, activate after every turn, you can just get hit by that enemy over and over again and then die. <laughs> so 
yeah, like it's it's got it's got more issues that I had not noticed before in the two to three player games that I've been doing. But it's still a fun game. Is it going to stay in my collection? Not 100% sure. It is a bit more random than I'm leaning right now. So it totally probably depends on how much my kids like it. But I still think it's a fun design. Definitely like goofy, silly uh, gameplay does that pretty well. Yeah, and I mean, I had fun with it. I, I not even goofy, silly all the time. I mean, I think there's good tactics. Oh no, there is. Yeah, I'm not trying well. to present it as like a. It's just more random at higher player count. Yeah, because yes. like like a lot of games, there's just more downtime between your turns, so a lot of more bad stuff can happen to you at higher player counts. Whereas at lower player counts, it's pretty much you know you're going, then some enemies are going, and maybe you have one or two enemies activate once or twice. But the other negative part of it is, you know, in four players, you have four times the number of enemies or whatever, and they will only be closest to one player sometimes. Yeah. So literally four people worth of enemies will be attacking the same dwarf. So I, I think it's more of a higher player count problem than a game problem. I think the game is a blast at lower player counts yes, no, um, and, and very tactical at the same time. I have, not yeah, played so, it. But I have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we like you, Jerry, with yeah, nothing no. to say. Wow. To, Ouch. to be clear, by the way, Jerry and I were at the same like one-stop co-op shop meetup that night, but everyone chose not to play with us when we were playing <laughs> Thunder Road. That way. And, <laughs> oh, no, that is definitely what happened. Like, we had like a game set up. We were all going to play Thunder Road. Like, we had four people. And then Mike shows up and like, we're all going to be playing this game while you guys play Thunder Road. I was like, well, it sounds All like right. it sounds like they missed <laughs> like, out, Peter, because we had a blast with Thunder Road, I, and yes. they did not with Deep Rock. No, no. The, yeah, to, yeah. to be clear, we played Letter Jam while y'all played Thunder Road, and we had no, a great we had time. More with, we had more fun. We had more fun. We had an awesome time. We had more fun. All right. Well, <laughs> so any final thoughts in the last minute here before we get cut off? Since it was Mike's first one, why don't he go first? Yeah, so I feel like maybe I said some of this, so Peter, you can just have fun... Uh, editing in you know or just double me up make, make me sound like an idiot make me repeat myself multiple <laughs> times that, that's oh I, that that's the goal is really yeah. to du- like double you down yeah so this was my first gen con and for like context the only i guess big big other convention i've been to is is a uh, pax unplugged i've been there what twice now is that right yep yeah so this was a lot larger than pax it's sprawled more than pax like PAX had us go to the one place and that's PAX. Whereas this, there was a stadium. <laughs> there was like a, a block party outside of the stadium. And then and I was meeting publishers in multiple hotels that were like uh, connected by sky bridges. It and always seems weird to... when you get like a publisher invite to a meeting and it's like room 302. Meet us in yeah. there. It's like, uh, <laughs> I'm going to bring, they, they, I'm gonna they bring a friend. About, like being like the Hyatt, the Hyatt Regency. The da, 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 da. So I no, I know, but it's always weird when it's like a random hotel room number yeah. instead of well, like, you know, some yeah, like professional. It it like you're visiting their, their hotel room where the, they sleep or something. But l- no, that is not, not the case, by the way. <laughs> right. No, no, no. It they, is they random rooms. hotel room numbers, but they're like, yeah, conference rooms like on the third floor or whatever. So, yeah, it's weird. But it, they, they do just sometimes say like Hyatt Regency, room 302. I'm like. Uh, okay, I'll see you there. <laughs> I'm bringing a friend. Um, but yeah, so it was larger than PAX. It was more sprawling, which I would say was generally a net negative for me. You know, I, I kind of like the simplicity of this being like in one place and not having to kind of search around as much. Honestly, the vendor hall and like the play areas was very similar, even like in how it was set up, just at a grander scale and more crowded. Which, again, I would say is a net negative for me in comparison. 
clearly the travel time between PAX and Gen Con is a net negative because it's three times as long at least yeah, each way we drive. Although that's not the case thing, for everyone, obviously, right? Well, <laughs> no, I mean, it's my personal, my experience. Like, what, yes. what do you want me to say? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the the biggest thing, and this is clearly we are in a unique position, which is different than like the average person going to PAX or Gen Con. Uh, and Jerry, I know you've said this kind of thing to me before in the past as well. A lot of the, there's sort of like three types of new game at PAX or Gen Con. There's like the games that are like just about to release or releasing. There's the games that are releasing soon. And there's the games that you can like kind of see like early versions of. For the first category, nine times out of 10, we've already like seen and played the game. So it's exciting for a lot of people, but it's exciting for us because we've already like kind of experienced it in early coverage of it. And then the stuff that's way delayed, you know, that we're not going to see in forever, it doesn't really matter necessarily if I see it at Gen Con or PAX. Like, it probably won't be done by PAX if it was a Gen Con. So I guess there's, like, this kind of, like, you know, just right kind of middle ground of game where it's actually, like, exciting to see it at Gen Con. Or, I, I don't know, something I will say, like, uh, Sky Team that I got from Scorpion Mask. I think it was for sale at Gen Con, and I got, like, a review copy right then. It's one of my favorite uh, recent games now that I've been playing it. So, like, that was cool, but certainly by and large, I don't feel like I'm seeing more new or special games at Gen Con. So the only benefit is more people are there <laughs> when I kind of, like, look back on my experience at the con. And th- th- that's more people in two ways. More people in terms of, like, which publishers are there, because there are some publishers and designers that I, like, touch base with and hung out with that I probably would not have, like, seen at PAX. But also there were more like content creators and I had a great time hanging out with a lot of content creators, meeting people that I hadn't met before and like discord uh, members, like there were more of them there. So it was like better from a social standpoint, but also worse because it's so crowded. You can't find anybody. At least at PAX, I feel like I'm constantly running into people that I want to see. I did not feel that way at Gen Con. If I didn't like have some way to contact you and find like say we are meeting here, a meetup wasn't going to happen. So yeah, overall, Will I go to PAX again? I can't say for sure. It'll probably Gen depend Con. more on like, or sorry, yeah, Gen Con. Will I go to Gen Con again? It'll probably depend more on like how Peter and my games go and like if we have games to show off and that kind of stuff with our own publishing efforts. In terms of like media coverage and playing new games, I don't know if I need it. And also, I don't know if my wife will let me go to two big cons a year. So if, if, if it was between the two, certainly PAX would be my pick nine times out of ten. Uh, so that was so. It's, I don't mean this to be negative. I hope it doesn't sound negative. It's just like in comparison, I don't know if the pros outweigh the cons, but I still had a great time and I overcame the kind of anxiety and confusion of like the space and everything pretty quickly. And the map was helpful. So, I mean, yeah, that goes away after your first time going. Like your second year, you'll not necessarily that all the publishers are in the same place, but the confusion over where the hotels are and stuff like sure. that becomes. Yeah way better after the first year. I'll go next because I think Jerry's going to be the most positive here of all three of us. I don't think I'm quite as negative as Mike, even though I always say how much I hate Gen Con. There's like, I mean, that's more joking than anything just because I know Jerry likes it so much. But compared to the other big cons in the US, Origins and PAX, it is my third of three. I do prefer the other two better. I think PAX has kind of taken overtaken Origins at this point. Just because they're, and like Mike said, for me, and so this is all personal for all of us, of course, but for me, it's all about meeting people and seeing people. And for that, Gen Con's the best 
as far as like all the one-stop co-op shop groups there, a bunch of people from our Discord. You don't get that at the other two conventions as much. But there are more people I know at, at PAX, so I, I like that. I do find the space more cozy and comforting. You just tend to run into people you know more. You don't have to go looking for them. There are people I knew that were at the show that I just never got to meet up with because I never ran into them. Now, you would randomly run into somebody like in the food court or wherever else. And so it was like, okay, that part was cool. But it just seems like it packs. You're constantly running into people you know. Yeah, so for me, I like the show a little bit smaller. I don't like the commitment of having to buy tickets ahead of time. You know, I know Jerry doesn't like lines, but I would rather wait five minutes in a line to do a demo. If I know the demo's at three and I show up at 2.55 and I got to wait a couple minutes, I'd rather do that and hope to get in rather than having to pay money at a time and then be stressed out that I got to get there on time or whatever. Like if something's running over, I don't want to have to hurry over to the next thing because I already paid for these tickets. So there are definitely people that are going to like that and there are people that don't. And for me, Gen Con is just a lot. Um, and this was the biggest year ever for Gen Con. It was even bigger than the pre-pandemic years. So, I mean, there was some of that, but it didn't feel that much bigger. I think they did a good job of spreading out where the people were. I think there were definitely more people in the stadium this time. I had certainly been in the stadium in the past where there was almost nobody in there. You know, the open gaming area wasn't very full. Like some of those tables weren't very full. I feel like they put more stuff there that people wanted to go to. Um, so that was kind of cool. But uh, overall... Like, if you want to see a spectacle, Gen Con's for sure the one to go to. For me, I prefer something a little bit smaller and more intimate. So I'm going to differ from them a bit. And I think Peter kind of summed it up a little bit with the fact that Gen Con is a spectacle. And I enjoy the spectacle aspect of it. I mean, there are comparing... I've only been to one Origins, and it was, I think, in 2021, and it was sort of pandemic-y. So it wasn't really... I don't think I gave it a fair shake based on that experience. No, but for comparing sure it to PAX Unplugged, uh, you know, there's two big conventions throughout the year where games t- typically get released and that's Gen Con and Essen and not PAX Unplugged. So you rarely see a whole lot of new stuff at PAX Unplugged. Now that was a little bit different last PAX U because Cephalo Fair uh, announced the Gloomhaven RPG uh, at PAX Unplugged, but that was the only major release that I, re- I recall seeing at PAX Unplugged. Whereas at Gen Con, there's all kinds of new stuff. And while I understand Mike's perspective where, you know, if you're getting review copies and, you know, in touch with publishers ahead of time, you might already have seen or played or at least know of a lot of these games. I don't get review copies. I tend to focus a little bit more on competitive games. Gen Con has a lot more new releases and sort of first time to see things. Uh, so there's a much more, uh, a bigger spectacle aspect of it. And that, while no. Gen Con... Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but I do want to interrupt you just on that thought. (laughs) So Essen is right before PAX. You haven't seen a lot of those Essen games yet. So a lot of those do release in the United States at PAX. That is, and, and those are more competitive, more, you know, European, traditionally European style games. So I'm actually surprised that you don't find a lot new at PAX every year. Well, when I've been to PAX, especially this last one, I was pretty disappointed in the vendor hall. I didn't think there was much of anything very interesting going on in the vendor hall at, at PAXU last time. As a matter of fact, I think they spread across, uh, spread the booze apart a little bit further and had more room in between them because they didn't have quite as many vendors as they might have liked. Uh, it's certainly not as packed in as Gen Con, either from a booth perspective or from a crowd perspective. But uh, 
that's true. Essen does happen uh, typically, uh, I think, late October, um, maybe early November, and PAX is typically very early December. In some cases, you might see some of the Essen releases at PAX, but again, those were Essen releases. They, those weren't PAX U releases. So if they had been released already, they might have already been available, you know, at your local game store or, you know, online to already purchase or at least see reviews and videos on. Whereas Gen Con, you're, you might be seeing things for the first time. So you like the uh, surprise of it. Like the, fin- so you're sad. That, yeah. You're sad that fantasy flight. Is, yeah. You're sad that fantasy flight isn't doing its uh, like big announcement thing that they used yes. to do every year. And yes. stuff. so that was the part of it. You really like, yeah. I mean, yeah. They might be doing announcements there, but I don't even know where they're doing announcements. Like, I, I don't know how you find out what is new there or what what just came out. I guess you're going to have to go, like, Board Game Geek while you're there to figure out, like, what's new uh, at the place you're at. Like, Board, Board Game Geek publishes a list uh, from publishers of all. I mean, you guys had Flame and Fang on that list, right? Yep. Uh, I went through that list a couple times, marked off the ones that I was interested in taking a look at, and then saw some of them. Which this Gen Con was a little bit unusual for me in that I did not spend a whole lot of time in the vendor hall uh, at all. Uh, I spent most of my time just hanging out or, you know, hanging out with people or playing a few games or a couple of events. In previous Gen Cons, I spent a lot more time in the vendor hall. As far as it, Gen Con being more sprawling, uh, that is definitely true. But I also like the more open nature uh, of Gen Con than PAX. PAX, you have to go through a metal detector to go in. You can only go in certain entrances and leaving and come back is a, a little bit, a bit of a pain versus Gen Con. You just, you know, walk in, wander around, walk out, however you feel, you know, you want to go to the Gen Con block party, which is something else that PAX does not have, you know, see all the different food trucks or, you know, just hang out. Uh, I think Gen Con's a little bit more conducive to that. It being more crowded does make it less conducive to finding people that you actually <laughs> want to hang, you know, your friends that you want to hang out with unless you, you know, schedule a time and a place. But, uh, I, I, I sort of like Gen Con for those aspects. Gen Con's also, what, four days versus PAX, you know, essentially two and a half. And PAX opens, at, I think, opens way late. It opens at like 10 or something uh, for the convention. No, none of the events start before 10, whereas Gen Con is pretty much 24-7. Well, 24-4, I guess, for the events, which yeah, there's just a lot more going on. And I feel like you have more variety and, and, and pick as far as things to do. Yeah, that's true. You have the demo hall open before the vendor hall. I think that's true at PAX, too, though. I think... No, you can't go in before 10. Not even to the uh, demo part of it, where they're doing, like, first... uh, They might have changed it, because I didn't try last time, but before then, you could not. You had to go into the queue room. Well, yes. No, last year was different. Oh, that's right. You weren't there last year. No, last year was different. No, I was there last year. Two years ago, I was not. Okay. I feel like there was no queue room last year. Like there was no queue room last year. That is, that is correct. Yeah, yeah. So you could walk all the way up to the vendor hall, which is past all those demo tables and stuff. So I do think they're trying to get better. But the thing to remember about PAX is it's still a pretty new convention. No, you had to queue up waiting to get into the vendor hall. All that area was a, was a queue. You just had to stand or sit on the concrete floor. Yeah. So that, that, all right. So you mentioned this, Peter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rail on this a little bit. So Gen Con, for those that don't know, you sign up. Uh, or you try to get events uh, beforehand. And some most of them cost at least $2 to get a ticket for. Some of them are free. But you put together a wish list, and you try to get the, the events you want. And hopefully you do. With PAX, there are no, like, tickets. You just have to line up. 
or at least in the past, you just had to line up uh, for these events. So I know like the first and second time I went to PAX, you end up sitting on the floor in a line for 45 minutes, just doing nothing. I mean, you can meet people and talk to people, but you're not actively doing anything like gaming or you're just sitting there. And, you know, I'm in my 40s. I'm not really a, a big fan of, you know, taking my limited leisure time and going and sitting on a floor for 45 minutes waiting for to get into an event. Now, last year they did improve a bit, uh, speaking of packs, in that you could sign up for events like the morning of. So it would like open up at 7 a.m. or something like that and it'd be a mad dash to try to get uh, limited spots for an event. But that was still better as far as I'm concerned. It's not so much whether you can get into the events or not because you can get, you know, shut out of an event in Gen Con or PAX. It's really just being able to plan your day a little bit better. So at least now with this new system at PAX and with Gen Con, you know ahead of time whether you're going to be able to go to an event or not. Whereas in the past with PAX, you'd line up and hope you weren't too far back in the line, which uh, I found incredibly annoying. But it looks like they're making steps to sort of limit that in the future. So apparently they're improving. But overall, I still prefer Gen Con, just like you said, for the spectacle, the sheer number of people that, you know, I'm not normally going to see. I get to see, you know, like Steve and Colin. So I'd met Steve and Barrett before, but I don't think I'd met Colin. So uh, that that was really nice. Uh, whereas PAX, it's, it's a much smaller convention. And while I do, you know, run into a whole bunch of people I know, it's it's much more limited than Gen Con. Cool. Well, that's our thoughts on Gen Con, but let's talk about our game of the show. Let's end on a positive note. Mike, did you have a favorite game you played at Gen Con? <laughs> Mike with his big eyes. For those of you who are on the podcast, he was clearly talking to somebody. I totally yeah, caught him off guard. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I was talking to my wife. And everything's fine. Uh, favorite game? I got to pick one. Yeah, just oh, or one that gosh. stuck out that's memorable to you. You know, what is it, two weeks since Gen Con now? You know, two weeks later, what what sticks out to you from Gen Con? <sighs> okay, I'm going to do two. I'm going to cheat. <laughs> I mean, because I'll pick ones that I actually, like, have and I've gotten to play more, which, again, is a is a benefit of, like, the coverage that we do, so I know it doesn't apply to everybody. But both uh, 20 Strong from Chip Theory Games, which is their upcoming uh, Dice One, that hopefully is delivering soon. It's pretty much... Well, actually, the copy they gave me was not entirely done. They had to, like, fix some things with dice and stuff. So I imagine that means that the actual final version of the game is still going to be a little bit. But that one's great. Um, I know Peter has uh, borrowed my copy and is playing that now. We're going to do a podcast of that sometime soon-ish. And then the other one I'll mention is uh, Sky Team. I just did a review of that recently. That's a two-player cooperative dice placement game. So I guess I'm all about dice for Gen Con. But it's it's excellent. It's it's easy enough at the lowest levels that I was able to teach my kids and they had a good time. But it's uh, super hard if you like go into the tougher scenarios and they add like a lot of modular things. It's just an awesome game. So those and are you- like the, the, the two that stick out at me. I mean, there are other ones that I love, but I don't have them yet. So I wouldn't put them as my top. Like... Uh, the Chip Theory, Elder Scrolls, and Horror on the Orient Express. Like, those are amazing looking, but, you know, I don't want to call them my top game of the con until I can actually, like, play them more than half a game, <laughs> which is what I got of each of them. So I will say, going back a week when we left the con, though, I think you would have said Horror on the Orient Express at the time, because you did play enough of it to get a good feel for it. You were super excited yeah. for it at the time. Now, you know, with the with the chance to play these other ones more, your mind might have changed since then. But I remember how excited you were about that one and how much you talked no, no, about it. Okay. That one. If you want to say like game of the con 
for hype. anticipation. Go for yeah, anticipation. anticipation. Then no, it's it's Elder Scrolls. I love Horror on the Orient Express, but Elder Scrolls is going to have a lot more variety in play. Horror on the Orient Express, I'm super excited for, but it's the kind of thing I would bust out like you know maybe every month or two. Whereas Elder Scrolls, I can see like becoming kind of like a more lifestyle, like play it all the time, keep it for years and years kind of game. Well, yeah, you said it might replace too many bones for you, so that's that's a big yeah. deal. Yeah. I don't know even how to sell the trove chest if that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to run a forklift, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I, I did lift it in that one uh, video back when, partially. Of course, now there's more <laughs> stuff in it since then, so it's added a lot of weight. Yeah, plus you're older. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's muscles atrophied. Nice. So my game of the con was Unmatched. Uh, what was it called, Jerry? Do you remember the... Tales to Amaze. Tales to Amaze. Unmatched Adventures. Tales to Amaze. Yeah, so that was the co-op version of Unmatched. I, I really enjoyed that. In fact, I enjoyed it so much, I had been debating buying a couple of the Marvel Unmatched sets, and I did end up buying them at the con, because I was so excited by the co-op mode. I was like, oh, I want to play these Marvel heroes against, you know, this cooperative version when it comes out. So, uh, and they were they were actually ones Jerry didn't own. I made sure ahead of time I did not duplicate purchases. Uh, so Jerry owns like literally everything unmatched except for the two sets that I own. Uh, so and now I do. Yes. Yeah. I got the last set that I don't. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I did play that with my son since the convention as well. And I really actually am enjoying unmatched more. I think they've done a lot with the system to make the heroes more unique, more differentiated. You know, when they first started out, they probably, you know, as with every game, they start out safe. Uh, conservative, but as they've gone along, they've really done some neat things. Uh, and some of the Marvel heroes were like, I loved some of the mechanics that they did, which I hadn't seen before in any of the other sets. So good on you, Restoration Games. I, I really am enjoying what you're doing with Unmatched, and I am super duper excited to play more of the cooperative version. Yeah, from a from a game that was based on what the Star Wars duels mm-hmm. system from way back when. That's what the initial approach was. So Restoration Games is taking typically taking older games and sort of putting a fresh coat of paint maybe you know upping the the strategic value a little bit and uh they did a uh they've really branched out with later sets of the unmatched stuff where there are some really interesting mechanics going on so jerry you have a game that stood out to you well i I think just like mike did why don't you talk about anticipated or you know you talked about the game you played were there any anticipated games that really struck fancy um, not really. Honestly, I didn't see much more than what I played. Like I wasn't, you know, the only other one that really stood out to me was Thunder Road Vendetta, which, you know, we hadn't played. So no, there wasn't anything. I mean, I guess Borderlands is the one if I had to think of anything, but I didn't even do much investigating of what's going on. I mean, it's cool to me that they have a, a random loot deck where a bunch of different loot cards where you know, you get the loot, whatever, and I guess sell it and, you know, try to level up and, and kill a bunch of stuff. The thing that doesn't excite me about that one is that it's an arena game. Uh, I know from experience, having designed arena games, that you can do cool stuff with it. I just don't know that I've seen too many people do too many cool things with it that keep it dynamic enough that make it as interesting as something like Borderlands is to me, where you're running around doing other stuff. I guess they're just going to simulate like the boss fight part of Borderlands, which is kind of an arena battle. Like, you're kind of stuck in this one small area. So, either way, though, I do like the Borderlands IP, so I guess of the things I didn't get to play and didn't even really hear much about the mechanics, sure, I'll go with Borderlands for that. (laughs) All right. 
So uh, for me, like I had said uh, before, this was a little bit of different Gen Con in that I didn't spend a whole lot of time in the vendor hall, which usually I like to go and explore and see things that I didn't expect to find. But consequently, I only purchased three games at Gen Con, which is unusual for me. But I got the uh, War of the Ring, the card game expansion against the Shadow. That's the solo co-op expansion. I only played uh, like a round of that. I got Age of Innovation, which is the latest game in the uh, Terra Mystica slash Gaia Project uh, vein. I uh, haven't played that yet either, but looked like it had some interesting twists on it. And then I got the uh, uh, Thunder Road Maximum Chrome Edition, which we did get to play at the con we talked about earlier. Uh, as far as my game of the con, uh, the game I played that I thought uh, was the best was definitely, like Peter, the uh, Unmatched Adventures Tales to Amaze. Uh, that was really, really good. Just the variety in, in the enemy and the minions and the way the, the various decks worked and the different focus uh, each minion had. Uh, plus, whenever we turned over a card, that uh, the uh, minion reshuffle card that had zero attack and zero defense, we were all like, yay! So um, that was good. We had a really good time with that one. So I'm looking forward to having that one uh, ship, hopefully, in a couple months. And we played that four-player. I think that's what stands yeah. out to me about that one. Like, usually, when Mike and I review games, half the time you'll hear us say, yeah, but I wouldn't want to play it four-player, right? Because there's so much downtime or whatever else. This just went really smooth, really quickly. I mean, again, it's only one game. But we played four-player, and I was never bored. No. No, I, I thought it played four very well. And I think it would play at lower player counts. At least, I think it would be fine at three. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the way they scale is the number of minions and the uh, overall health of the main enemy are reduced by the number of players. Uh, I'm assuming that that works, but at least as far as like downtime and active participation, I thought four was fine. And even if can two I, can player I interrogate you, oh sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, away. even if two player doesn't work great, you just play two handed. You each play two characters, right? Yeah, I mean, you could, and then and then it would be four, and that would be fine. But go ahead, Mike. Yeah, so I'm the only one who didn't play this, and I'm, I think, easily the biggest fan of this type of game out of the three of us. You know what I mean? Like, yep. <laughs> And I, I've always found... Well, not always. I mean, I've only played it a couple, maybe two or three times. I've found the unmatched system to be far more boring to me than most competing systems. Like, comparing it to both, uh, like, head-to-head battlers, like, I don't know, Exceed or something, or, like, more kind of skirmish games, like Summoner Wars. I'd rather play many games than unmatched. But Jerry and Peter, you've played competitive unmatched. Do you feel like the solo co-op was like a different beast than the regular unmatched? Or was it kind of more of the same, but just like you could do it solo co-op? Like, did it kind of do cool new things with the system? Well, when was the last time you played unmatched? I borrowed it from you like two months ago. Which set, though? I don't know. One of whatever you had. (laughs) uh, I think I borrowed uh, set number like two, like season two or something like that. Because... Depending on which ones you played, like they got progressively more interesting in the in the design space, basically. Sure. So they bring in new concepts that, at the very beginning, it was a little bit vanilla, maybe. I mean, they still had their own concepts, like Sinbad had the whole, you know, how many cards you have in your discard of a certain type, that sort of thing. There yeah. were things there. But they've gotten a lot more interesting, I think, as time has gone on. Like with the Marvel, they added tokens that if you go, you can do special actions and things like that. Well, but, but to be clear, I find the core system boring because there aren't... Like, I found movement and attacking very dull because there aren't object. Like, so some games will have objectives, like Peter said, or some games will have other things going on. 
and this one I found like often the kind of movement and attacking and just like getting into range and getting out of range should be like a little bit uninteresting to me. Well, well it's so, different. I mean, it's, it's different because it's AI, right? Because because well, sure, when, when when you think about how a player plays, you're gonna walk up to each other and attack, right? And then the other right. person gets two attacks. Then you would get two attacks, and somebody's gonna run out of cards, and you run away. The AI is right, right, always right. moving around. The AI is okay. always like attacking. The AI is always finding things to do. It's to me, it was more puzzly. Uh, and I think the new sets do a little bit of this too. The reason you know this sticks out to me is they had a puzzle every day that was set up and it's like, how do you kill this guy in one turn? Right. And so with the limited cards you have, and like a lot of them let you draw cards from your discard or from your deck or whatever else, like you kind of had to figure out like different puzzles and they gave away like foil cards if you figured out the puzzle each day. So they weren't easy puzzles. And I think it's become more of that, but I do think the AI is more interesting because they're always moving and attacking and forcing you to move around the board and forcing you to do things that you wouldn't want to do traditionally. Yeah, um, no, that, that sounds good. That's I, exactly I, what I'm looking for. I do think there's other aspects to it uh, as well that you wouldn't find in in a uh, you know one v one version of Unmatch. Like for example, the different minions attack you in different ways. So for example, I was running low on health uh, because I had been getting hit by the blob because the blob generally attacks your health, right? Okay. So I needed to like I could have run up and attacked the blob, but the blob was about to kill me. So I ran away from the blob and attacked somebody else like one of the other minions, the Jersey devil attacks you more by, I mean, it, it can do damage to you, but it also makes you discard cards from your deck. So mm-hmm. you run a risk of getting decked basically. Well, I had plenty, you know, some other people have been hit by the Jersey devil and were lower on cards. Well, I was fine on cards. So I could run up to the Jersey devil and attack and be all right while running away from the blob that could potentially kill me. And then somebody else could go in and get to the blob. So uh, the different minions and how they attack and those different aspects, uh, I thought it was really interesting and it really, gave you had to put some thought behind what you were going to do it wasn't just simply run up and smack them and then try to try to get out of range Mm. kind of thing well it's it's like a lot of these games too right where you're like trying to group up on one guy first to take out that minion so that way you have less activations against you right so it's trying to figure out tactically how how to work together and then they're also laying tokens down all over the board that are like plus damage or stop your movement so they're the, the minions had some interesting puzzling nature to them as well. The other thing that I, I typically don't like about Unmatched is the battle of wits, the uh, Vincini, like, I clearly cannot choose the wine yeah, in front yeah, of yeah. you, right? Like, I don't like that in games. Yeah, like I know which, which defense are you going to use, that kind of stuff. Sure. Right. And there there is a little bit of that, right? Like, in this, but you're not trying to outthink the AI, of course. You're just thinking, all right, if I play this, how bad could it be, right? Like, if the AI play, you know, because you kind of get to know their decks pretty well. They only had, like, 10 cards in the AI decks. They just shuffle pretty regularly. So, you're like, all right, I haven't seen this card yet. All right, maybe I have to worry about this. So, there's a little bit of that. But a lot of times, it's just like, all right, I'm going to play my card. Hopefully, I get lucky. And then when you do, you know how, like, in co-op games, the most exciting moments are the moments you're not expecting, here, it's like they have a lot of good cards, but when you get that zero card, it's like literally zeros across the board. And the only thing it says is like shuffle up their deck again. And like you like needed that zero card, like all the moments are exciting that that happen. Otherwise, you're just expecting them to block, you know, three or four damage or whatever else. But like when you get that zero or when you do get that big turn, uh, it's super exciting. So I do think there are some things here that people who don't necessarily like the competitive unmatch would like. But I also, it's not a new game, 
right? No. What you're doing on your turn is exactly the same as what you would be doing. Just the considerations might be different. And other people who are better than me at the game might already be considering these things every time they play the game anyway from turn to turn. <laughs> and maybe it's just more obvious to me in, in when it's in the co-op mode. Yeah, and the, I mean, because you can play these co-op characters in the regular unmatched and you can play regular unmatched characters in the co-op, obviously they... Gen- the general mechanics are the same. Yeah, uh, yeah. So if you didn't like the, the mechanics of Unmatched, this isn't going to change your mind. No, no, does, the, the, what, it's definitely think, more thinky. I think everything Peter said and what you said, Jerry, sound really good to me. Yeah, because I, I just needed like some kind of reason to have more to think about, I think. And it sounds like that's exactly what this provides. So that sounds great. I'm excited. Yeah, and I, I think some of the later sets that, that were the versus mode are, are a lot more interesting than maybe the ones that you played. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to go along with you for that yet <laughs> you, you let again you let me borrow one of the later sets it wasn't like the first stuff and well I, volume two wasn't wasn't one of the later sets I oh think. okay all right i mean yeah i've, I've also heard uh from people on our discord that some of the marvel sets are like totally unbalanced or terrible like a couple of them at least i forget which ones exactly like i think it was the maybe like the luke cage one or something like that which is like a mess at least according to them so i've heard mixed things about the marvel sets as well I mean, I've played two of the three Luke Cage heroes, and I haven't had any problems. But I mean, it, it uh, might not have been that. Other other people are way yeah, more experienced at the game than I am, and I've <laughs> I mean, I'm just having fun with it, right? Like, I've just really yeah. enjoyed what I've done. They didn't seem unbalanced, but maybe I just got really lucky matchups too. You know how that can work sometimes. Sure, sure, sure. So the other game that I really enjoyed that I played was Thunder Road, or at least new game that I played was uh, Thunder Road. Uh, we played with the Chop Shop expansion, which is the individual leaders with you know special powers and uh, individual powers on each of your vehicles. I enjoyed that a lot more than I thought it was, I was going to. I had gotten a, a little bit of a taste. I watched them demo it a little bit at the Restoration Games booth. So I, I was definitely interested, and I'd seen it before at uh, Origins, I think, years ago. But anyway, it is, it is definitely managed chaos. Uh, it's a lot of fun. You have cars die on turn two, and... That's just the way the game goes. So I had a lot of fun with that. Look forward to playing with my kids a bit. So as far as most anticipated game, I didn't actually get to see this in person, but uh, based on the theme and what Mike has said about it, I'm really interested in Horror on the Orient Express. You know, I'm a Call of Cthulhu fan, and the theme is right up my alley, and if it's a good co-op game, I'm I'm all for it. Man, y'all are both all about uh, Restoration Games. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I'm our publisher of the con this time. But. Yeah, I, I would love to really enjoy a game of theirs. I never have <laughs> so far. Um, but I've only played... Uh, well, no, no, okay, that's wrong. I, I really like Downforce, but that's the only game of theirs that they didn't change at all, right? <laughs> uh, I don't know if they changed that or not. They just like... I like, I like Stop Thief, the one they did. Yeah, no, Stop Thief yeah. was a little bit okay. But that's because I was... Dark with... Tower, I lo- Dark Tower, I liked like half of it. I think I think parts of it are awesome. Oh, I like Dark Tower. That was fun. Um, what else have we played of theirs? Yeah, Match of it mixed on... But Thunder Road looks fun. I'm sure my kids would enjoy it too. So I, I yeah, you could have played, but no. You I wanted to, to play with thing. lots of people. But yes, I would, I'd like to play that with you guys. Maybe at the next <laughs> game night or whatever. Yeah, I mean, we got uh, Saturday night, tomorrow night. We could play that. We could play. Uh, what was the other one? Isn't today just... isn't today Thursday. Uh, that, yeah. Oh, today's Thursday. Thursday. Dang yeah, it, don't, don't, dude. I'm back at school on Monday. Don't take away my days from me. <laughs> yeah, I got two meetings tomorrow. I got an eight thirty and a four p.m. on a Friday. It's wonderful. So that's why Peter wishes it was already Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. All right. So yeah, Saturday night we could play that, and we could play. Um, yeah, none of you guys talked about it too much. 
Yeah, Age of Innovation. I want to try that because <laughs> I, I no, love. No, that, that, that's all you and Jerry. I'm not going to play. Oh, come on! You'll, you'll love it, Mike. It's a Euro. I mean, I, I like Gaia Project, but I also don't want to play Gaia Project with y'all. <laughs> I want to. I want to play that solo and and pick my time. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. But thanks for joining us, everybody, and we will see you all next week for episode 400 of the podcast. Uh, Mike and I will be recording live on. Well, at least hopefully recording live on the streaming channel. I do have to figure out how to put audio clips in so I could play them and have us both hear them while we were recording and try to respond to them. So we will see how that works out. (laughs) That'll be a a week of learning to try to figure that out. I I always love how Peter says, and we're going to be doing this. And Mike's like, oh, we are. (laughs) (laughs) I just show up for the podcast. If I vaguely know it. Is that what we're doing? (laughs) Yes. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, and we will see you soon. Episode 399, out. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list. Oh, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Stop podcast. Dude, that was so lifelike. I didn't even know there wasn't Jared. I mean, whoever, whatever his name is. Peter? I didn't even know, I didn't even know it wasn't that other guy. Hello! <laughs> so 13 seconds into our two hours. You're just doing this to me, huh? <laughs> yep. You're here, Peter? Hey, guys. Yes, Peter. Why do the Irish only put 239 beans in their casserole? Why? If they put in one more, it'd be too farty. (laughs) God.